Da, da, da. Hey everybody, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast is uh got, is in need of a new way of saying that because it's <laughs> fucking tired of it. God damn it! About tired, tired here are the coming distractions. Yeah, here here's some shit you should do with your money if you want to help the show. It doesn't really help us. I mean, it sort of helps us. It helps the people who pay us, so it helps us indirectly. One thing we can promise you when we uh, have any sort of sponsorship on the show, it is 100% a product that I believe in. There's, there's no, like, we'll, we'll never bullshit you. So anything that we, we have that sponsors the show, you can guarantee that what we are saying, first of all, is 100% what we believe, and if we find out that it's incorrect in any way, shape, or form, we will go back and correct it. There's uh, the last thing I want. That's a little. That's not subtle enough. It's the last thing I want is um, for anyone to get ripped off ever from anything that I'm associated with. So everything we sell you, whether it's the supplements from On It or Ting, uh, we believe in. What what is Ting? Ting is if you go to Rogan.Ting.com, you will be able to get a better understanding of it and you also save 50 bucks on your first Ting device. They have a bunch of cool smartphones including the Samsung Galaxy S3 I almost which is bought amazing. it the other day. Don't do it. Don't I know, do it. But Ting, it, why don't you hook Brian Redband up with a phone? I think we need his technical advice because I just love I'm, I'm like, me like the bigger pictures. Me like going on browser. I've been using like big screen. I've been using this Nexus uh, Seven thing here, mm-hmm. and it has the Android operating system on it. Right. And so now I'm like, man, I wish I could use this as a phone because I kind of want to play. Is it with internet? It. Is uh, it on the internet? It's uh, Wi-Fi only, so I oh. use my iPhone five to uh, tether it to. Do it. they make any ones like that that are? Um, by the yeah. way, it's tether. You fuck. Tether it. Tether <laughs> it. Stop that. Tether Stop it. Wi-Fi it says it wrong. Out. Um, the um, do they make them that small? That actually, or is it the Note is the only one that's a little no. smaller than that? Yeah, that yeah is the a phone. Note's a smaller than. They don't that. make something that size that's a phone, though. No, I don't think so. But I think could no, you I get it so. uh, cellular Wi-Fi? I saw something? somebody use one of those Notes on the other day. This girl, <laughs> this ridiculous. little girl, had this humongous phone. It was the most it, like it it's looked weird. like a the old days when people had boomboxes on yeah. their shoulders. But they're cool, man. I'm telling you, I get mad phone envy, technology yeah. envy whenever I see that screen. Yeah. Um, they don't. Sorry, Ting doesn't have that, but they have the Galaxy S three. Yeah, that's why I want to get the S three. And I fucking huge it, really. too. That's like a medium, a medium ground between the Note and uh, some of the other Google mm-hmm. smartphones. Um, but the, what, what's great about Ting is the way they've set up their business, and the the idea behind it is you can still run a good business and make money and not have to rip people off, not have to get people involved in these crazy contracts where you can't get out of it unless you pay money. I think that's disgusting. I really do. I, I, I think it's a crazy, horrible situation where uh, when, you, when you order service, especially from some gigantic multi-billion dollar companies, you know, when you're ordering service, when you don't want the service anymore, you should be able to say, I don't want your service anymore. Thank you very much. And boom, it goes away. It shouldn't be you have to pay them money. But that's how it is with most major providers. And Ting doesn't have it set up like that. Ting also, I, I misspoke when I said that, um, you, um, that your, your, your minutes go into the, the next month if you don't use them. It's actually better than that. They actually knock you down on your bill and then they credit you the next month. 
So it's like they actually charge you less money. It's not even that they give you more minutes. They oh, so charge they, so, you less money. So they take away – like you have yeah. credits. Say if you have a plan and you, your, your plan is to use X amount of minutes for X amount of dollars per month. If you use less than that, they will actually bill you less. I see. They will credit your next month. Right. It's like I mean, you're it's, overpaid almost. It's a great company. And they use Sprint. So it's a major networks network backbone, yeah. backbone without – the contracts and all the other craziness that goes along with uh, using cell cell phone service. It's really nuts. So we support Ting. They're a cool company. And if you go to rogan.ting.com, you can save 50 bucks of one of their many badass Android devices. Really, if you're into technology, it's fucking fascinating stuff. We're also brought to you by onnit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T, makers of Alpha brain. What are you doing, brain? You're scaring the shit out of me. I got too, many, too much alpha brain in my system for your sound effects. <laughs> what is alpha brain? It's, um, it's most certainly is no miracle. Okay, it's not, If you're a really dumb person, I'm so sorry. But there's nothing it can do. But what it can do for you is what really essentially all nutrients can improve the way your body functions. It's what your body needs to run. And we live in a world where most of us don't eat enough of the proper food. We don't eat enough healthy, green, leafy vegetables. That's like one of the main ones. Um, uh, all sorts of different vegetables. We don't drink enough water. We, you know, we, we take a lot of stupid shit into our bodies. So th- fix that first. Before you start taking any supplements, before you just you know eat fucking two cheeseburgers and then go take some shroom tech and want to work out, it's not like that. You should take care of your body first. That's number one. Eat as much healthy food as possible. Give yourself some cheat days, man. Give yourself some days where you fuck off. But for the most part, try to eat healthy. You will feel better for sure. And more importantly, your mind will function better. There's essential nutrients that your mind needs to function at its optimal level. And what we have done with Alpha Brain is isolate those nutrients and give them to you in the purest, most effective form possible. There is science behind it. However, I'm way too stupid to be describing that science because I really have no education in any of these subjects. And it's really nonsense and gibberish that I've just memorized from people far more intelligent than myself. If you go to onit.com, it'll all be explained to you. There's Alpha Brain, which is the one that uh, I, I talk about so much. It's the one that I take before every comedy show. I, I take it before podcasts. It's um, it's it's most certainly has a positive effect on uh, mental function, and I have so many of my friends addicted to it. It's uh, some fascinating shit. But if it doesn't work for you, you get a hundred percent of your money back. One, a first order of thirty pills, you don't even have to return the product. Just say this didn't work for me. And then you get your money back. Nobody wants you to be ripped off. And if you use a code named Rogan, you will save 10% off any and all orders of all supplements uh, that are available through on it, including hemp force protein, the hemp-based protein, which is legal and won't, you won't test positive for marijuana. Don't sweat it. It's not what it is. It's really, it's a weird little loophole where it's like, it's very similar to the marijuana plant, but it does, it's not psychoactive. So you can eat it and it's really healthy for you. Um, hemp protein is really healthy. It's what they use for fiber for clothes, like hemp clothes, but it's illegal to grow in America, <laughs> but you can buy it. <laughs> But you got to buy it with can- from Canada. It's a fucking squirrely setup, folks. 
So we get hemp prone, uh, protein, the finest hemp hearts from Canada. It's really hard to do, and it's annoying because it takes jobs away from U.S. farmers. If um, on it could, we would love to have a farm here in America and grow hemp and hire people and employ yeah. them. But we can't. We can't because we have a corrupt government, ladies and gentlemen. It's just, it's just been around for so long in this stupid, wonky, transparent bullshit form that we, for whatever reason, are stuck there. And unless, unless people talk about it, it's going to stay that way. And this is a problem, folks. It's nonsense that hemp's illegal. It's nonsense. It's not even related to the marijuana as a psychoactive drug debate, which is also nonsense. Grown people telling you what the fuck to do. But because of that nonsense, you can't buy hemp. Very cheap. It's expensive stuff. Use a code name Brogan save 10%. We also have kettlebells. We have uh, battle ropes. All different things to get you fit in a functional way. Uh, and by the way, um, all this stuff is stuff that I use myself. All of it is stuff that I've you know, learned from strength and conditioning coaches, from uh, guys that uh, train people for jiu-jitsu or MMA. It's all like the best exercises to uh, really sort of uh, for functional form, for functional strength, for strength where your whole body moves as one unit. You know, these kettlebell exercises. It's, uh, you're, not, it's, you're not isolating any muscle groups, really. It's like you're using your entire body. And when you do that, it's like, it's, first of all, you feel great. It's great to have like a body that works well. It's great to be able to move things. It's, I mean, just forget the superficial way that you look. Just it's great. It's nice to have a functional body that like, can pick things up if you need them moved. You know, I mean, people don't think about it that way, but essentially your body is like a race car. You can choose how much horsepower to put in it. All you have to do is lift weights. If you lift weights, you get more horsepower. It's that simple, Brian. DJ Brian on the mix. Anyway, um, we also have Blendtec blenders coming in. They should either be in today or tomorrow. I think they're in already. They're fucking fantastic. Those are the blenders that we saw, we That's use on cool. an iPhone. We just decided to start selling them. Like they're the best blenders That's you can awesome. get. They're awesome. They they yeah. Though I I use a Vitamix, which is equally good. Excellent excellent blender. But uh, most the consensus was that Blendtec's the best. We I wonder if you could uh, blend a Vitamix. With this, <laughs> you'd you have to it. break it up first. Yeah, but I but bet you could. Let's try. I it. wonder you, you could. I wonder the blades couldn't blend the blades, right? I don't know. They cancel each other blades? out. What the fuck would happen? Oh, shit. It'd be chaos. Uh, on com, folks, and also uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Audible was the last one. I love Audible. Yeah, um, Audible dot com. If uh, let me pull up the URL real quick. A lot of people are saying thank you for uh, introducing them to the uh, Steve Martin book. Uh, Born standing up, uh, they, uh, they, they loved it. it. Yeah, because Steve Martin reads it, and so it's like listening to like a play almost. It's great. I highly recommend it. Uh, I, I like Audible for like road trips. I'll put it on my iPhone and just like Bluetooth it over and listen to people talk and fall asleep while I'm driving. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of uh, of books on tape. Uh, I when I used to use them a lot in road gigs. Whenever to have these uh, long road gigs, they'd be painful. Like you know, drive like three hours up to Maine or something like that. Back then, they were all cassettes. But I, I got into it, and it's like, man, it changes a boring drive into something really exciting. Okay, sorry, that Brian. was that was a mistake. These are ridiculous. That was a mistake. These are truly ridiculous. <laughs> you like a little child. This is what it was supposed to sound like. That's okay. like a little car. <laughs> That's better. That's way better. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there are, it's, what I was trying to say is that when you're on a long, boring-ass drive or any kind of commute, plane, flight, whatever, it can literally turn something that's 
seemingly meaningless into an educational experience, an inspirational experience. I mean, that's the beauty of books on tape. Or it could just be like really educational. You know, um, I mean, it's uh, to me, it's uh, it's a, an awesome resource that a lot of people uh, don't take part in, and uh, it, it allows you to make productive time and enjoyable time out of time that sucks. That fucking dumbass commute that you have to do every day. You know, when you when you listen to a, an excellent book on tape, man, it's uh, it really is um, to me. It, it's it's a total game changer. It makes it enjoyable. You actually get home. You're like, oh, you feel great. You're just so fired up. You know, I've sometimes gone home and uh, you know taken the CD out and listened to uh, a book on tape in my house. You know, and you can do that if you have an iPhone hook up to your car too. I, I'll just continue it. I get I get roped in. Um, if you go to Joe Rogan, oh, that's the wrong fucking URL. Audible.com backslash uh, something. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't help at all. Ible backs. Uh, I think it's Joe Rogan. Oh, Let's see. It's that or it's Joe. Uh, I, I'm to We've hit up. a bump, they say, so it's not that. Yeah. I'm trying to look up Allison Shulia. Okay, it's Joe. That's what it is. It's audible.com forward slash Joe. If you do it, you, uh, if you go there, you can try Audible free for 30 days and get a free audiobook. So it's an awesome resource. Audible is one of the best sites in the world when it comes to this. It's like the, the most prominent site in the world when it comes. And they've been around for a long time. And they also have Opie and Anthony shows. Uh, when you were on there, they have like back episodes of when you were in, on Opie and Anthony. So oh, like, cool. like you can listen to Ari Shafir and us and everyone on, on, on the Opie and Anthony. They also have uh, your CDs on here. Yeah. And shit like that. So it's, it's a good way to buy your stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's a cool service. It's a cool service. It's, uh, we, we like the setup. I, I, I really enjoy audiobooks and, and you know, of course, shows like Opie and Anthony are great to be able to get to and comedy CDs and stuff like that. It's just a, a huge variety of things. But the, the beautiful thing is if you go to audible.com forward slash Joe, you could try it out free for 30 days and get a free audio book, right? Isn't that what it is? Yeah. Something along those lines? Uh, yes, that is exactly what it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> let's fucking get this show rolling. This is the lamest commercials we've ever done. <laughs> We need, we need a little fire in, uh, under our asses. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Alex Gray is here. We're going to get to the bottom of some shit, figure some things out. Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. If there is a man that is on more dorm room walls than you... It might be Frank Frazetta, but it's only like if you count all time, you know, if you think about it, like if, if, as far as like the 70s and 80s, those poster years yeah. that Frank Frazetta put in some goddamn numbers, you know, that guy that, that he had some amazing stuff. But you, sir, are right up there and you are as far as like the psychedelic community goes, you're the only guy that I've ever seen that I've looked at your work and I'm like, wow, that guy actually like captured some of that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you've actually grabbed some of it and you've, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's for someone who hasn't experienced uh, a really intense psychedelic breakthrough sort of a moment. They, they, I don't know if they would connect with your artwork the same way. It's beautiful. It's striking. It's amazing and unique. But it's what's amazing to me about it is that when I see your stuff, it's like 
you really captured something somehow or another the you, the the unrememberable you remembered it enough or you channeled it enough or whatever but you nail stuff man i mean you're st- that that one that you were just showing the hologram oh yeah what is which, yeah. what is well, the, is the title of that because it's one of my favorites yeah it's one of my favorites it's the uh, the the bardo being and then the uh diamond being uh, at a let's see the angles here yeah there's a diamond being there's the bardo oh, that, being that's, that's so intense and there's the uh jewel being so, they, so see how they, they kind of like, uh, they, uh, it, it's like you have a little trans-dimensional portal in, when, a, in a postcard. Wow, that's amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. That one right there? Yeah. That yeah. one. Yeah. That, that's that's DMT. Shit. Yeah, that's totally DMT. Yeah, you know. Anybody it. who has had the tryptamine experience uh, recognizes it. And that's yeah. what's really fascinating because it's impossible to actually translate that transdimensional realm, that interdimensional uh, uh, infinitude. And yet, uh, as crude as it is, a painting that's an authentic uh, transmission from that state will uh, communicate to people. And it astonishes me that uh, I meet brothers and sisters all over the world that say the same thing, that they've been there, they've seen that, they know where I'm painting from. Have you ever had a, a thought in your mind or a dream where somehow or another in the dream, this has happened to me several times in my life, where an image, a really weird, bizarre, random image was recognized to me to mean something or have some significant uh, play some significant part in my life, whether it's some friends I know, uh, a place that I live. But it would be imagery. It was, it was yes. really weird. It and is. Like, I looked at that imagery, whatever it was, this strange geometric pattern, and it represented to me very clearly like this aspect of my life, but only in a dream form. It's visual poetry. And I, rem- I remember so many times going... I got to wake up and I got to write this down. But I couldn't even write it down because it, the shape was constantly moving in my mind. Yeah. You know, it had like, I was like, no, but if I could just draw this image. Well, well that's what you did. With exactly. That. You, that, you drew that. Yeah, it's kind of a compression of, of that. That's for yeah. you, of course. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you that's nailed it, man. Whatever it is, right there, boom, the one with the stripes. Holy shit, the skulls and the stripes. Yeah. That's insane, man. That's like, that's... As close to what a real trip feels like as is possible, and that's that's the for anybody who has ever had any sort of psychedelic experience, that's the crazy thing about it at all. After all, rather is that it is possible. It's hard to believe that it's possible. Well, Joe, I wanted to um, give to you uh, the fourth book in America. Uh, you're, you'll be the fourth. No, this is, you'll be the fourth person to have seen uh, this book, Whoa. which we just got an hour ago. My wow. wife and daughter and I saw it. It was delivered to her door, and we, and we drove right over here. Wow. So this is to you. Uh, brand new. It won't be out in uh, the United States for another month and a half or something like that. Oh, wow. But Thank it you. is uh, Net of Being. Wow, this is awesome. Thank you very much. Wow, yeah. that's cool. Wow. This is incredible. I can't wait to go through it. Yeah. I'm going to set it down. But I've been a fan of your work for years, man. Thank I've got you. A, I've got a big uh, piece of yours um, hanging up in my isolation tank room. 
<laughs> I have several of them. I have, you have a uh, disco ball in that <laughs> isolation tank. No, I think that's what it needs. Yeah. Really take it over the edge. <laughs> um, the um, uh, the uh, Cosmic Christ. That's another one of my oh, favorites. Yeah. Just it's. When did you um, start doing this kind of art? Uh, how long have you been doing this? Well, let's see. When I was uh, twenty-one, I had a kind of a crisis. I think and. I wasn't sure that I really wanted to live any longer because I was really, uh, um, I was really depressed. And, um, so, and of course I did not believe there was a spiritual reality at all. And, uh, even though my, my friends had, uh, had, um, tripped before me, I never did because I was so miserable. I just thought I'd go to hell and who needs infinite hell. And so, Anyway, at some point, uh, I prayed to a God that I didn't really believe existed and uh, that if you do exist, then I'd, uh, I need a sign or, you know, I'm through. And, and so within 24 hours, I, I'm saying goodbye to uh, my professor uh, at art school. It was the last day of school, like August 30th or something. Or, uh, no, no, no. It was like May 30th, May 30th. And and around the corner drives this uh, VW. Uh, and it's uh, this gal, uh, Allison, who uh, uh, invites us to her graduate... You know, it's kind of like the end of school party. And her sister's in town. And so uh, so uh, this professor picks me up later that night. And we go to this... Uh, party and on the way he says i've got in this bottle some kalua and lsd <laughs> and i said you know what basically what the fuck <laughs> and so so i drank about half of it and uh, i got to the door and the gal drinks the other half and i sit on her couch for the entire um journey almost and uh, just sit there kind of weirdly inside myself on one of her sculptures, uh, a couch with a, with a uh, soft figurine of a self-portrait. And so um, and when I close my eyes inside, and I've never had a trip like this since, but I was in the dark. I could see I was in the dark, but I was going toward the light because there was this curling kind of, mother of pearl like conch shell thing and I was in like a tunnel with a light coming just from around the the side and uh, and it was awesome because it was that was it of course this was God this was the light was God and I knew that even if I was in the dark I was going toward the light and I saw that all the shades of gray connect both those opposites and so I changed my name to gray right then and so my art has always been kind of trying to integrate the uh, spectrum of reality into a more holistic picture of uh, the trans-dimensional the visionary and the trans transcendental because the transcendental art traditions you know the, all the sacred arts of all the different world visionary cultures because all 
all religion comes from the mystical experience, and that's a visionary experience. And you see it through all the uh, the mosques are beautifully ornamentally patterned from the same visionary mindscape that a DMT user would recognize. And the same thing goes for the great Christian masterpieces. And all through uh, world uh, religion, there are these waves that have crystallized into these visionary uh, experiences of angels, of demons, of all kinds of worlds. And they're really... Uh, it's it's the thing that connects all the world religions is sacred art, you know? And so we started thinking like, wow, there needs to be a new kind of sacred art that integrates this visionary dimension of where all, all cultures uh, emanate from, this vision, uh, the true visionary cultures emanate from this. You see it in the Shipibos, you see it in uh, the... Uh, the Wichole, you see it in uh, so many of these uh, patterns. Isn't it a fascinating thing that art is such an integral part of religion, but oh. it's not really discussed that way? Religion is all about ideology for most people, but if you really stop and think about it, the, the Christian artwork, the, the Hindu artwork... What do we I mean, care about? Amazing. We listen to the music or watch yeah. the dance. You know, it's the, it's the way that people connect together. It's a know? fascinating aspect, though, a uh, really underappreciated aspect, the aspect of religious art having influence. Because especially when you're stopping and you're thinking about back when people had no other transmissions, there was no broadcast images, there was no video, there was no, no. photographs. You, no. you literally had nothing or incredibly stunning religious art, <laughs> you know? That's it. <clears throat> You know, there was nowhere else to go to see iconography. It was probably the the most impactful thing a person could see back Absolutely. then. Absolutely. Because there would be all this other art, but the other art, you know, whether it's a painting of a tree or whatever the fuck it is, it's it's not going to be Jesus, you know. And yeah. someone who can paint an incredibly detailed Jesus, and if you, you stop and think about the time in which these people were doing this, you know, this is uh, an incredibly... Like the, the like the access to information was almost nil. So this to them must have been hugely impactful. The actual because you could see it. And it wasn't just a thought. It wasn't just you talking no. about. You could actually see this painting. They're benchmarks yeah. in the evolution of human consciousness. Is what they are. So strange that it's not really talked about as as being completely connected. Because the it's faith? the underground mycelium a visionary culture that unites everyone. And that's what the religion of the 21st century is, I think, is just your creativity, you know, and it's your way that you connect with God, however it is. And it's, uh, it comes out, you can look at the arts, you can see how the arts could unite all world religions. They're, it's trans-dimensional, you know, or trans, trans-denominational and trans-dimensional. <laughs> Wow. You know, and that's what we're building at Cosm. Even uh, Scientology has uh, lava exploding out of a mountain and a cross with like a crazy star thing in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, they have their own shit too. Do Mormons? Do Mormons have religious uh, artwork? Uh, well, they have temples mm-hmm. and they're quite extraordinary. And so the I think, and the And the stories themselves are works of art. I mean, this, the, no, they are. All the religious... Story? Yes. 
all the stories of all the founders and mystics come from this visionary experience they have. I think Joseph Smith, though, it's been pretty much proven that he was a con man. Well, he claimed to have a mystical experience, right. and that's what ignited the excitement, the mm-hmm. religious fervor of people. He was also martyred, right. you know, and there are a lot of people who hated him. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he was martyred, yeah. uh, like the Bob got martyred, the Baha'i, the great Baha'i. Now, there's a... I'm not there, familiar with that story. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, uh, what, what? It, it's not the Church of the Subgenius, Bob. It's the, uh, it's the uh, founder of the Baha'i religion. Where, and, where, where is that from? Uh, unfortunately, Iran, and I believe. And uh, they, so he was uh, considered a heretic. And it was the, I believe, later uh, 19th century when he received the uh, understanding that there is a unity of all world religions, that we should consort with people of all uh, religions, and that uh, that religion comes in waves and of revelation. And he argued for the equality of uh, uh, women and men, and the uh, the friendship of all uh, races. And so, this uh, the understanding of how uh, some of the religions had failed us, but not pointing out negatives, mm-hmm. but just positing uh, what could be as a higher vision of uh, world religion. It's fascinating to me that even religions that are clearly made up, like where someone has sat out to try to create a religion, you can call that a cult or what have you, but there's ones that they've done that where even though you know that someone invented it. It still has a positive impact in those people. Yeah. So it's almost like even creating a fake religion, if done the right way, imparts, mm. imparts I think there's some a sort of I think there's state a problem of consciousness. With that. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I definitely Stuff, think there's a problem with that. Yeah. Stuff based on falsehoods right. are not really religion, to me. The, the, uh, the, the real religion... Uh, has to do with contact, direct contact with God. And that's, that's then it comes out through these stories. And uh, the validity of any of the world religions is through the direct contact. So, but I know people that are Mormons that have benefited tremendously from being Mormon. I mean, mm-hmm. I know some really nice, friendly people, and a lot of that is attributed to their faith, which brings them to these churches and these mm-hmm. communities. But that, you know, that thing was created by a 14-year-old boy who mm-hmm. said he found golden tablets that yes. were the lost work of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That is something that was created by bullshit, but well, it seems to be helping those people. It, it might have been a dream, uh, just like uh, when you see picture images that are spelling out something to you. Mm-hmm. Um, to him, as, a, as, as either a liar or a visionary, was... Uh, you know, given this alchemical symbol, it united the symbolism of alchemy, of Christianity, and of Native Americans. Now, this is a unique synthesis. This uh, is what Joseph Smith did? Yeah, Joseph. Well, uh, iconographically, right? The chameleon, the tablets. There, you could go back to Hermes Trismegistus, the emerald tablets. Or you could look at the uh, the tablets of the... Um, the Jewish, you know, Moses tablets. You could look at, so there's a, uh, the Rosetta Stone, all of these written in stone is a, is a very powerful uh, symbol, okay? Hmm. So, uh, and the, the chameleon that uh, doesn't um, 
uh, burn. You know, it's the it's an alchemical symbol. So to us, the the iconography, the icon of a written in tablet, is almost like all sort of like profound ideas will come in that form or many will come in that form because it represents like almost in our DNA, it represents something of significance. Well, those, um, those aligned with this uh, vision, this higher vision granted an American. This was like one of the earliest um, religions along with uh, spiritualism born in America. Now, there's a differentiation because you have your Middle Eastern, which is mostly everything, comes out of there, and you go a little uh, to the side and to India. And uh, uh, these, this is, it, it didn't happen over here to our knowledge. Of course, the native uh, people were wise uh, beyond anyone, but no one was listening to them. No one took them seriously because they were all heathens, and so they were murdered. We, we moved to an awesome, awesome place upstate, Hudson Valley, the town of Wappinger. And the Wappinger people 400 years ago peopled the east side of the river all the way down to Manhattan. There were, you know, loosely federated tribes. And you knew that, because you're from Jersey, the, uh, uh, the Hudson River used to be called the Mohicanitook before Henry Hudson. Whoa. The Mohicani took... That's way cooler. Oh, listen to what it means. (laughs) Listen to what it means. That uh, the great flow that goes both ways. Ooh. Because it's a a tidal river. It's a moon river. It is pulled back and forth all the way up to Wappinger. Why would they want to change that name? It's so beautiful. Because Henry Hudson put his big dick uh, in history. Henry Hudson changed it himself? Well, he got it changed? Uh, well, he did establish the white uh, folk in there, and there were a few friendly exchanges between Hudson and the Wappinger. Some of the very first uh, encounters with Native people were the Wappinger with, the, uh, with Hudson, and he reports on it. And there was, a, there was an unfortunate incident where uh, his men had killed uh, some... Uh, you know, just in fear. And uh, they kind of were forgiving for one night, and I think they all got drunk. And wow. then, uh, then, like, a war ensued. Over a hundred years, the entire tribe was, like, wiped out. Oh, my God. And it was the genocide of a people, practically, and they fragmented uh, this uh, beautiful people. It was that- over a hundred years? Oh man, it was relentless, and God. and so the last of them were driven out, uh, like the Scioto Trail, the Trail of Tree of Tears, yeah. and I heard like later this Native American brother came to us after we acquired this land in Wappinger, because he felt it was always holy to the Wappingers, and uh, so you know we put a big uh, cairn to honor uh, the Wappinger spirit. And um, he, he talked about what happened to the Wappinger and how they were walked out, like, through Ohio. They had to march, you know. And uh, as they were going through Ohio, they passed right down High Street from where I was born, 
You were born on High I, Street? That's where in, I'm from. No, no, in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, that's where I'm from. Yeah. High Street. And so I put a self-portrait, like as one of my crazy-ass art projects, you know, really early on. I used to work for a billboard, uh, the billboard place, and I said, please let me do this. It's a dead board anyway. You know, nobody cares. You know, it's on High Street. And it was a, a self-portrait, but with half my hair shaved. And uh, so, but it was a huge uh, billboard kind of thing, but with his head with very ambiguous, like, what is that? And uh, so High Street was the Trail of Tears. And at that point, Evan said that a number of the Delaware Indians began to absorb the brothers and sisters of the Wappingers so that they found a, a solace there. And there was something very interesting about the Delaware Indians was that they had a particular kind of haircut uh, that was only for the warriors in order to keep their, uh, their bow out of the uh, hair. It was uh, cut in half, side, uh, you know, was shaved bald and the other half was long. Here's the uh, uh, billboard, actually. Yeah. That, that's, I'm from uh, Worthington. In, Holy in crap. High Street in Worthington. Hey, neighbor, how yeah. you doing? And I used to live in Clintonville and everything. Wow. A lot of people are from Columbus. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. So we run into so many people from Ohio. Yeah, it's Maynard's really from Ohio, I yeah. guess, too. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's wild, man. So you didn't even know that when you did it? Hell no. I, 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 I had to move to Wappinger to find that out. That's crazy. Wow. What a, what a sad, sad story. And, you know... We uh, we spend so little time thinking about the the, the culture of the, the people that lived here before us. It's so fascinating. The, well, the journey wanna, on foot. We want to honor them, and um, you know, just say what what remarkable and uh, wonderful people that they were. Could and, you imagine? I mean, if you have, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have imagined because you live in this property. Have you thought about what it must have been like to live there as them before the white man arrived? It must have been amazing, man. Yeah. It must have been like Avatar, except no flying dragons. <laughs> really? You know what I mean? Yeah. No tail sex. About a lot of it was like, I mean, you, they were literally living off the land. And they yeah. knew how to do it, and Absolutely. they were sustainable. Yeah. And they had great reverence for the land they lived on. I mean, the, they were missing a lot of inventions that Western man had. But, man, I bet, I bet they were pretty fucking happy for the most part. There's a, I was in Disneyland yesterday, man. <laughs> there's a, it's a dis, there is a disturbing trend of people getting so fat that they have to be wheeled around. Did you see South Park last week? No. They did the whole thing about that, man. D- you will dude, fucking go crazy. Dude, I, I will go crazy because it was weird. It was weird. It, was, it wasn't, there weren't injuries. There weren't injured people. They were just, or if they were fucking injured, it was from being fat. These people were enormous mm-hmm. and they were pushing them around. These other, there was a, these little scooter things taking we, them everywhere. I guess the, the morbidly crazy. obese head have not had a proper vehicle in the past, perhaps. It's, it's a tap-out vehicle. They give up. They just give up on life. They're like, wow. fuck it. I'm just going to scoot around. There's so many of them, man. I mean, it wasn't... It was... I don't remember seeing this when I was younger. I don't remember seeing these numbers of morbidly obese people on motor scooters where they literally have stopped walking. Like, that, that's too painful or they're too big to walk. What, what has numbed people to the point where uh, that is an acceptable behavior? Is it the kind of crap that fast food has uh, uh, gone to? Or, uh, 
you know, as certainly has part been of it. Or, what do you think? Uh, there's, there's certainly uh, an issue with the human body becoming addicted to unhealthy foods. I mean, I, look, I, me, myself, I struggle with cheeseburgers and fries. I love them. They're so delicious. But I know it's, <laughs> like, it's super unhealthy. Yes. But I, I try to limit it, and I put really healthy food in between that. Some people don't do that. They don't. And if you don't, you can get caught up in this addiction cycle with shit food. Yeah. I becomes... mean, if you're, if, you know, everybody who does that ought to read that uh, old report, you know, the that China they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, uh, certainly a good thing to read, but I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it is weird. The numb, numbness is a, a good way to describe it because it's just, you just keep eating and you don't see it, you know, you don't freak out, you know, it's like somehow slowly, but surely you just get to this insane point. And well, I mean, I love Walt Disney. He's a, to me, he's an extraordinary artist and, and look at the, uh, amazing industry that's grown up. Around and the, mm. and the breakthroughs in in uh, motion picture technology, mm. all kinds of things. That nature films, you know, they they used to really uh, deeply. Uh, and uh, UBI works. Uh, they finally are acknowledging his, uh, you know, authorship basically of Mickey Mouse and things oh, okay. like that. So it's, I, I think that they're an awesome organization that has tried to uh, grow in in a, in a beautiful way and and is a way a kind of the most generous uh, representation of the uh, cherry on top of uh, American culture or something. At the same time, you know, you like you really wonder, like, well, well, what does it actually mean? What it, what is the religion of Disneyism teaching us? Is it something about um, a passive observation of reality uh, and uh, to uh, kind of delight us with spectacles of our uh, sort of delusional understanding of certain things, or is it actually playing a, an important kind of moral um, role? And I think that for the most part, you know, it's been a very benign to very positive uh, organization, I, I think. And as, a, and as art, it's unparalleled. You know. They do have some amazing uh, cartoons. Stop and think about it, like uh, the Sorcerer. What was the uh, that first one called? God, uh, oh, the Sorcerer's Fantasia. Apprentice. The Sorcerer's oh Apprentice. God. What oh an amazing, God. amazing piece of work. Extraordinary. And if you really stop and think about the time in which that was released, I mean, there was nothing like it before. Yeah. It was yeah. so groundbreaking. It's totally. it's hard for people to really understand. Was it 1930s? Is that when that yeah. was? 1930s. Yeah. 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 The look, the rides are amazing. My kids have an <laughs> awesome time. I love Good. Disneyland. That's not what Good. I'm. I just I'm freaking out about humans. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, the first of all, the fact that Disneyland is so packed, it's crazy. <laughs> oh, it's that's so good. many human beings oh, in awesome. one area. It's incredible. But wow. but you know what? It's like it's one like of the things, Mecca for Americans. Yeah. I oh, mean, is there anything is. else more Mecca like in America? Mall of America, maybe, but not really. No, Disneyland is the spot. Yeah. Maybe uh, Disney World and Disneyland. Dis- yeah. Those two. Yeah. Maybe Sea World, but not even. No, no, Disneyland <laughs> is like really where it's at. Mecca. Yeah, it's incredible. How, and you know what? What was really kind of cool about it was there's so many people there. I mean, it is insane. I never saw one person raise their voice. I didn't see one person get angry at their kids. I didn't see, I mean, for mm. as much as we like to talk about the negative aspects of humans, and man, lately on this podcast, it's really been a bummer. We've been having a lot of 
people like like reporters telling us about corruption and uh, Congress people running for Congress that are <laughs> telling us about how fucked up these new bills that are being passed. I mean, you just over and over again you keep hearing negative shit and we're guilty of it too we were discussing it but when you go to Disneyland you're like all these people get along great like look what's going on here they people promote saying, a positive me. vision yes. of uh, possibility for all of us and I've always emphasized creativity as uh, and the imagination as uh, something that is really important it's uh, uh, it's amazing that they can get that many people to be friendly. You never hear about a gang fight breaking out at Disneyland. Yeah. No, that's what you kind know? of makes me mad, no. though, with all those protesters, though, in Anaheim who are trying to march to- march towards that. I kind of don't like that. I, I kind of like well, hey, dude, not- there's a lot of kids there. You know, why don't you just get away from that? Place. Yeah, I think they were trying to do that because that would get the maximum amount of attention. I, I no get it. One was I get attention. it. But don't fuck with that. You know, like if <laughs> yeah. I have my kids there and you start doing bringing that yeah. to my kids. Fuck you. You know. Well, OK. You shouldn't say <laughs> fuck you because all they're trying to do was call light to the fact that a kid was murdered by a cop. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, you, don't you bring it to hurt more you to that. They're why not- would you bring protests where people are dressed up in the military towards kids? Well, I don't think when they first started doing it, there was no one dressed up in military. That that's ha- that happened right. when they arrived. So I think uh, there's a little bit of confusion there on your part, there, buddy. No, but I think they those don't, people don't just choose Anaheim. Yeah, just, okay, just but some things are more important table. than rides, man. Take some that people, off the table. Some things are more important than rides. Yeah, and kids. getting people to pay attention. Kids are more important than everything. Oh, protect kids, right? Okay, yeah, but uh, listen, <laughs> this, I don't think this is hurting the kids. I think there's only reason the, the only violence was being thrown at the protesters. The, the protesters, as far as I know, didn't or and weren't accused of doing anything violent. It was the the police that were showing up with dogs Unfortunately, and if the, this shooting is, rubber bullets, like we saw with Amber Lyon when she was on the podcast. They shot rubber bullets at them. I know, but unfortunately, you know how there's going to be people, especially like homeless people, that are joining these kind of protests just to be like, <laughs> fuck the police. Because I saw it at... Uh, okay. okay, Brian. What's the shit, uh, the thing where everyone uh, sat outside? Occupy the, Wall Street? Yeah, uh, yeah, Occupy LA. When yeah. I went there, I was like, little, like, there's like a bunch of drunk crackheads. That's a little different, crack heads Dude, This, this was a, a community. This particular instance in Anaheim was a community yeah. responding to a murder. Well, it was violent, you know. They brought, there was violence in Anaheim. It could, there shouldn't be violence anywhere near kids. That's what I'm saying. Okay. You know what I mean? I see what you're saying. But I think in this case, what if somebody's they weren't trying to do violence. They, were, they weren't violent. The cops were violent towards them. That's the accusation. Right. As far as I understand it. You know, and the, what we saw with that Amber Lyon. I don't know why I just went off this protest. I don't know why you did either. You thought about yourself <laughs> oh, oh, being you a little why? innocent boy. Why, why? Because I was thinking about how awesome Disneyland was. And I was like, yeah. that, when it Amber is, was on the last episode, I remember thinking that. It is amazing. Kind of but what, what I found fascinating about it, when, one of the things that made me smile when I was there was it really is amazing how well people can get along. It's mm-hmm. sort of if the right kind of vibes are generated and Disneyland is like the exact right kind of vibe the only thing that sucks is lines yeah. <laughs> and in lines everybody just kind of laughs and jokes around and kids play with each other and it's, it's not that big a deal Why they, they manage that lines very yeah. well kids, some, some kids complain and they say look we're going to have a great time when we get on the ride it's going to be fun it's, it's amazing how well people can get along if in that sort of environment. And yeah. people can say, well, that's unrealistic. Well, no, it's not unrealistic. It's, it's life. What if Disneyland we all is real. tried to get along? Yeah. yeah. You know, instead of think that, you know, stepping outside of a place like that, which, you know, say it one way or the other, seems a little more sacred to people. Yeah. Uh, and that may seem humorous in some ways, but it's, 
not, because though. it's focused positive. Yeah. Uh, it's family oriented. It's uh, non-denominational and can be enjoyed and uh, you know by by anyone. Yeah. It's a positive place. It's yeah. fun. It's a fun place. But and it is it is sacred in that respect. It's for for children. It's such an it's like a little religious experience almost. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, it's like you see you them. See, they have so le- much fun. You see fairies in places. Yeah. You see you yeah. get a taste of the visionary experience. That's what they're trying to create. Yeah, it's a fully dynamic. Uh, pull you into a new way of seeing reality kind of or reorienting experience yes you know it's like oh well we just want the temples to be like this because they're so exciting and they're so fun and they're some are a little too threatening but some are you know depending on the age you know and so you learn and you can grow and you can uh, go and visit these things and enjoy them with your children it's a wonderful thing Winnie the Pooh is very psychedelic (laughs) have you been on the Winnie the Pooh ride? no oh my goodness (laughs) Winnie the Pooh is first of all it's fascinating because my daughter she's only four and uh, Winnie the Pooh is like you you get buckled down in this thing and it's it's a slow ass ride so when when it's over she looks at me and she goes why did we have seatbelts on? (laughs) <laughs> she was like this is ridiculous like a four year old is like you don't need seatbelts for this this is so stupid like yeah. why did they make us sit down um, but you, you go through it and it's all Winnie tripping okay because mm. they, do, they do it in the guise of him falling asleep uh-huh, so Winnie right. is sitting there <laughs> and then Winnie's ghost is doing flips right. like over him right. and flips over him then we enter into this next room which is supposed to represent Winnie's dreams and it's all neon tiggers Ooh, yeah. knocking him over and honey's everywhere yeah, yeah. and he's like this dream's mm-hmm. amazing and mm-hmm. he's literally in heaven mm-hmm. I mean he's in this wonderful psychedelic heaven yeah. where this like tiger who's Neon colored, completely mm. uh, like uh, the yeah. whole thing is white, you know, know, black lights. It happened in Dumbo, and is it this happened- it, Brian? Yeah. Look, when you when yeah. you go through it, when Winnie the Pooh has his has his psychedelic trip, like right when he goes through and he falls asleep, it's so obviously like acid based. Yeah, yeah. Astral or mushrooms travel. or something. Yeah. Whoa, oh, there look at this. Look, he He's- starts tripping. That's cool. And then when he comes out of this dream, you know, when he comes out of this, uh, this, this falling asleep experience, you, you see the next crazy room. I mean, look at this. Winnie the Pooh is tripping his brains off. This is a DMT trip. Look at this. Look at Pink Tigger. Neon Pink Tigger. Look at this motherfucker with giant orange, orange heads and green arms and honeys floating everywhere. What is more psychedelic than this? Look at this. What the fuck are they trying to say? This happens when you sleep? <laughs> Does this happen to you when you sleep? I mean, look at this. If there's anything that's a psychedelic trip, it is goddamn Winnie the Pooh. That should be the next thing. Kids taking mushrooms and getting on the Winnie the Pooh ride. I bet you would freak the fuck out. Just a pot cookie on this thing. It's amazing. That's great. Isn't that amazing? Wow. I mean, that is Clearly a psychedelic experience. Now, so this is a walk-through? No, no. Place, you're, you're, or you're, is, no, you're strapped in. Yeah, it's my, my, my in. daughter was trying it. to explain. Awesome. Wow. We're trying so to it's a little bit like uh, intestines or something, like you're being digested in his imagination. Yes. He, yeah. And then he poops and, you out at the end. Yeah. He poops you out saying, no, psych, we're normal. Yeah, yeah. No, no well, more the, trips. The human-animal fusion is an archetype that's 
tens of thousands of years old. What do you uh, What do you think that is? What's the like the, the human ayahuasca a- human animal anthropomorphic yeah. being? Well, there they were standing up like human beings, kind yeah. of, and like your association with them was person to person in a way. But they they represent the character of that creature, you know, in a more humanoid, anthropomorphic, talking kind of way. So that spirit, in a sense, can speak to you. Like you could be in contact with other animal spirits, but they would communicate to you in in a certain language that you could understand. And so always, I think, the shamans had been able to have relations with these spirit beings. And some of the earliest cave art, actually, uh, of male figures are so-called sorcerers, like the sorcerer of Troy Fair. And uh, it is a a horned uh, kind of deer-type uh, being that is also a, a, a man, clearly. Yeah, it's got a penis. That. And uh, and so it's a fusion. Uh, but is there of, images uh, of it online? Oh, yeah. yeah Brian, sure. can you find that? The Sorcerer of Troy, T-R-O-I-S, and then new T-R-O-I-S. word. T-R-O-I-S. Uh, Frere, T-F-R-E-R. Uh, Yes. Did uh, you get that? Don't guess if you didn't get insane. it. <laughs> <laughs> of Troy Frere. Um, what do you think that is? So you think uh, that these are real, real beings that these people are coming in contact with through psychedelic experiences? It, it's possible, you know, and that, um, or it's a portrait of the sorcerer uh, that is an in- integration of. Is that uh, it? Of yeah, of human and uh, animal qualities. Now this is an enhanced uh, version of it. Looks very similar to that, but it's on the side of a cave, and so uh, they would um, go into the cave. The the real one, Brian. That's uh, what they did. Is they traced it. Mm-hmm. So you can see what it actually looks yeah. like. Yeah, it's still amazing. Isn't it? So, Imagery. so that how old ar- is that? There you go. So the archetype. Wow, it's, that's the real one. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. The, that, that is amazing. It tells you quite a few things. It tells you uh, the shamanic, uh, you know, um, X-ray vision that is an ancient uh, kind of quality of vision that sometimes you appear to be able to see through to the lifeline or to the uh, underlayment of the fabric of the body, of the physical body, to a, another kind of body. But here, it's mostly the fusion of the human and animal archetype. You can see he's got a, a Johnson down there. I, I love his eyes. Yeah, yeah, I know. Isn't he yeah, awesome? He's, con- yeah. he's completely awesome. Oh, he does. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> look at yeah, that I got swinging. the business. I got swinging the business. Backwards. You like my tail? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, he's like letting you know. Yeah, right. I know, but he's not hard, so he's not needy. No, no, exactly. He's not yeah. needy. He's yeah. I, in what fact, I can look behind. <laughs> yeah, what a strange little point. Yeah, very strange. I look at that. What is? What is that? Negative. Yeah. Look at yeah. that sweet ditty. Hmm. That's a weird little pin. It looks like Isn't a little it? mushroom. Maybe it's yeah, a little it does. Maybe it is. It's a mushroom up his ass. Could be mushroom yeah. coming out of his ass. That's yeah. controlling his mind. Wow. Uh, oh, it's uh, so that is. I'm sorry. How old? Uh, can you look at check the date? I think it's uh, at least sixteen thousand. Uh, sixteen thousand years old. Yeah, they. You know, the most stable civilizations. I think were from the the earliest uh, work of art that I know of is this amazing 
picture, I'm sure you've seen it, of this goddess that uh, made out of mammoth ivory. And it looks like Dolly Parton or something. It's an amazing, uh, you know, buxom um, goddess. Mm -hmm. And it's so uh, archetypal. 40,000 years ago, okay. So they were still... uh, having these figurines like the Venus of Willendorf and things like that tens of thousands of years later. Now, there isn't a civilization on Earth that was more stable than the goddess-worshipping cultures. They were agricultural. They were stable, sustainable relationships with nature. Is it just that human beings uh, get to a certain level of technological proficiency and then they just start to fuck each other up really easily and that's when things go awry? Well, I think that there was a remarkable... Uh, breakthrough in human consciousness that led to uh, a cerebral uh, kind of, uh, you know, fire of intelligence that led people to begin to write and to write in such a way that that they could commune with the gods. The earliest books were all uh, religious texts. You know, 6,000 years ago, you know, the Vedic uh, hymns, the Rig Veda, and you know, that's got references to Soma, the uh, yes. the most ancient of these uh, uh, psychedelic cultures. Better than cultures. Brahma, better than Indra. Exactly, yeah. and connects us with the uh, immortality and and uh, the infinite. And no one knows, by the way, what Soma was. Correct? Exactly. Is that true. What now, is, a lot of different people consensus? have different consents, uh, conjectures. I have no idea, but it was clearly a kind of. Um, entheogenic uh, sacrament that allowed people access to the realm of the divine. One of the things that McKenna said, Terrence McKenna said, that was so fascinating to me, and so when, when you really stop and think about the history of uh, human culture and psychedelic usage is how could something that was so powerful, where they talked about it with great reverence in their scripts, how could that have gone away? How could people have forgotten what that is? I mean, that's, it's amazing. Well, we're very distractible. And uh, we are not certain about the um, kind of um, the game that we're in. Mm-hmm. Is it an ego game, or is uh, or does love win the day? And uh, can you find um, your own personal connection with uh, the creative source? You know, and uh, if. If your life is an opportunity for your soul to read the tea leaves of your reality and uh, see whether it's in alignment with your heart's purpose, you know, uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the other great reasons that entheogens or sacraments or meditation or yoga and meditation or any of uh, many different ways of accessing the imaginal realms. I mean, making art is uh, that to me. And uh, so as a spiritual practice, thank you, as a spiritual practice, I think it has uh, much in common with prayer. If your artwork is in service of love and truth and goodness and beauty, and that would birth a new kind of sacred art, as well as these the access, the now 
verifiable and uh, repeatable access to the visionary dimensions provided by uh, entheogens, which has happened in numerous cultures, including the Greek culture. We have the foundation of Eastern civilization in the Vedic hymns uh, mentioning a psychedelic. Then we look at the the Greek tradition uh, and the Eleusinian mysteries, also a 1,200-year-old religion that's, er, uh, and civilization, really pretty long time, actually, for civilizations, and very profoundly important. And all the philosophers that we're familiar with, Plato and Aristotle and, and uh, Socrates, would have been initiates in the Eleusinian mysteries. And so uh, these great thinkers that form the foundation of, of Western civilization had all uh, taken a psychedelic and uh, enabled them to um, commune with the gods and with the ideals. That's what Socrates' whole platonic forms, you know, that he talks about the ideal realms uh, that he describes are him clearly in contact with a visionary reality. One of the most famous tales about Socrates is he walking across a square like he did every day and he stopped. And in the middle of the square, he just like started talking and arguing with this um, daemon, he called it, his daemon. And this was his, this visionary being that he communed with and had a day-long, 24-hour exchange with in the middle of the public square. What? Yes. He was crazy. He was high as fuck. He was crazy. <laughs> He might have just come back from the Eleusinian mysteries. Is it my amazing friend. that you would arrest him today if uh, someone did that? In New yeah, York City? they would, but they knew he was frickin' Socrates. Right, they already knew. Give him space. Right, and of course, well, you know how he wound up. You know, he was martyred. Mm-hmm. He, you know, they didn't want him around. You know, he corruption of the youth, and uh, so he had to drink this poison. Didn't he have sex with a bunch of young boys? Wasn't that also part of his thing? What was, uh, I, you know, you could say, uh, uh, where's the verification? Right. And where's the uh, notion that that wasn't a, uh, something that was mutual? And where's to say that some of the gay uh, artists weren't the greatest in art history? Like Michelangelo, like Leonardo. Does their gayness suddenly uh, make them bad? I don't care if they did fuck. No, but, it certainly doesn't. But, but you, know, it, you know, it might be an interesting sidebar about history. Well, that's what I was getting at. Like, what was it? What was different about life back then? That was like a really common thing that men would have sex with young boys. And even if it was a um, a, a mutual thing, where, where it, get, it comes into question is when, obviously, when you're talking about like really young people, it, you can't really have a, a mutual sort well, of agreement. You know, if you if you look at the ideals that Socrates spoke of, mm-hmm. you know, of truth and goodness and beauty, and being in contact with the ideal realms. Uh, where you commune with these, uh, you know, uh, angels, and you get communication from the highest. You don't uh, go about uh, messing like that. That happens at the at the kind of uh, perversion of, you know, what the intention of uh, God is, I believe. <laughs> but in terms of of uh, reaching, uh, you know, uh, like. He he was a, a just. He was interested in what was just, mm-hmm. 
you know, he wasn't interested in, in uh, molestation. So you feel that those are just false charges against him? Or do you I think have that no history idea. is just... How are you going how, to prove how, Yeah, how things? would you? How would you? You, know, for if, you know, what we like to do is trash all of our heroes to make them as low as possible mm-hmm. so that you have no hope about human character. And I think that's shame. Not, um, I did not look at it that way. When I heard this and read this, I, I, I kept hearing about this in many, many civilizations. <laughs> I mean, obviously the Greeks were famous for it. Yeah. The Romans were famous for it as well. And my point was merely that was sexuality viewed as a completely different thing than the way we view it today? Probably. Yeah, I, I think it's more that than, was, than a molestation thing. Right. I think, I think our, we're very repressed, whether we believe it or not. And I'm not saying <laughs> you should start having sex with young people but we're incredibly repressed when it comes to sexuality i suppose and i wonder if back then it was just the ideal was different the the, the, the literally the way you thought of life was different and it's i think it's very think hard right. for people i think you're right yeah i think it's very hard for people to wrap their heads around that especially if it comes to something as controversial as oh my sex goodness. with young people of course I, it's still you have to be well, objective look at you, different if you're if you're an anthropologist logical uh, kind of um, fan and you really look at different world cultures well yes you can see they've all got one head two arms two legs in general and have two sexes and uh, come in a variety of colors and uh, things but there are many different cultural practices that work uniquely for each little niche of uh, human uh, civilization or culture, and it's astonishing, really. Yeah, it's 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 and really it's different in different uh, chronology. I'm sorry, in different uh, times. You know, oh, we believed this then, and then now we don't do bloodletting so much anymore. You know, <laughs> well, I don't well, believe in it so much. Um, how how fascinated are you uh, by the Maya and uh, the Mayan culture? And there, I mean, if, if there was ever a culture like so severely, obviously impacted by psychedelics, yeah, it's really true. It's like the whole culture. I, I went to Chichen Itza, and uh, I had a uh, really uh, educated uh, guide. It was mm-hmm. a guy who was a local professor wow. who took us around, and you know he talked like more openly than I've ever heard anybody talk because I didn't even ask him. Mm-hmm. Started talking about the psychedelic drug rituals that they wow. would have and where they would have them, and he explained. Was it chocolate and mushrooms? I don't know what it was. I believe it was teonanacatl, which was, was the flesh of the gods, he, and uh, they mixed the uh, chocolate and the mushrooms, mm. which is done to this day. It's delicious. <laughs> And chocolate is so good for you too, by the way. I like Mayan. Yeah, yeah. If you've never had people don't ever like raw cocoa, raw chocolate, mm. especially. It's so it's super high in antioxidants. Like, you know, like. Well, psilocybin has also gotten uh, the uh, the I think the greatest endorsement from the scientific community. The Johns Hopkins study. Yes, of course, and uh, Roland Griffiths, and confirming basically the same. Uh, uh, discovery from the Good Friday experiment. Maybe you can talk some sense to my friend Brian then, because my friend Brian has done mushrooms a, a bunch of times, and he doesn't see any transformative uh, n- nature to the right. drug. He thinks you should just take it and go watch well, movies. Well, I, I think the first time you, you uh, take it, it definitely opens up something in your brain. It makes you look at things different, but that will always stay open. But I don't think any time I take mushrooms from now on... It, it might be something positive, and I might gain something from it. But it only like a week or two later, 
I'm back to, you know, I'm not like thinking about that one trip I did two weeks ago and how much it's changed my life. I'm more like, all right, what's going on? You know, moving on. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's never. You haven't, I, you haven't properly integrated it then, my friend, because uh, an, an actually uh, dousing of one's consciousness into the infinite is well worth considering about how it relates to your everyday reality and uh, what, what does it say. You know, what is the nature of consciousness? Who, who are you ultimately and what, uh, what does God want of you? <laughs> Basically. Yeah. And I believe that you're, you know, your entire life is, a, is a basically uh, an expression of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a natural thing. That's why we call you know, art our religion or creativity uh, in any form is uh, this sacred uh, thing. And because it's an expression of ourself, this unique lens through which the creative spirit passes. Mm. Not him. Nah. Not him. It's uh, Wizard of Oz on mushrooms with Pink Floyd synced up. Yeah, it's not like that. But well, that's it, the it's, cartoon it's, level, man. That yeah. is like, it, I mean, if you have any interest in this, don't trip again until you read Stan Groff's work. He's or, not reading shit. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, if you if you want to get the most out of an experience like that, a real opportunity to drop into infinite love, where you and God uh, become one. Uh, you know, you meet your own God self. It is possible. But uh, in Roland Griffith's study, it was uh, those who um, actually were interested in contact with spiritual reality. Uh, who had an intention uh, about it. Spiritually inclined people uh, were the ones who were opened up 65% of the time. Now, each of them thought it was a positive experience. Not all of them you know, got all the way to the mystical experience. But the mystical experience is something pretty well-defined. And once a person actually uh, has that experience, it's um, it's affirmative. It's so affirmative that you reorient your life to relate to it. And it may not change your outer appearance of, of your life, but it may empower it in some way with hope and, you know, new kind of creative dreams that, you know, where's your creative flow coming from? It's not just cash flow. It's got to be, you know, connected with um, whatever you feel like your creative spirit is. I, you know, I have no problem with the word God, but a lot of people have trouble with that. But I think that it's a legitimate way of thinking of your relationship with a spiritual reality. Just to play devil's advocate, and yeah. only so that we could answer the question, when, you, when you, you, you talk about these people that wanted to have this experience and then had the, the 65% yeah. of them, yeah. I mean, how much of what we're talking about is real? And when you go into it with good intentions to have some sort of a visionary experience, how much of it is your imagination? How much of it is your imagination acting with a hallucinogenic drug to produce this euphoric state that you think is visionary contact or some sort of spiritual contact? And how much of it could just be your imagination mixed with drugs? And this is what you were looking for, so your imagination created it for you. And I'm not saying that that is bad or good, because I don't... I have a feeling, as I get older, this makes more and more sense, even though it's harder and harder to talk about... I have a feeling that things are neither real nor not real. I have a feeling that the, the way we try to define things in such simple terms, 
it, it I don't I don't necessarily think that the imagination is not real. I think there the, imagi- the imagination has some sort of weird impact. The it mind and intention does. and the creativity has some sort of a weird impact on reality. Of course. So that's what that is the evolutionary edge of reality. The creative spirit is evolution in action. Is that weirdly defined when you use the word God? Weirdly defined? Yeah. I, that's God's paintbrush. Mm-hmm. You know? Who created all this? Not you or, or me. You know, how much of, of all of the spectacle of reality did we really have a part in creating? Right. You know? But when you say it, when you're saying God, I, I completely agree with you that that is the most uh, the most beautiful way to describe God, and probably the most. If there is some sort of an overwhelming power to this, the this creative force, they are all, they all yeah. describe uh, the yeah. the sacred uh, reality as a creative force. Yes. And uh, it, it, at the first moment, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the declaration, let there be light. Yes. Let there be, you know, it's the, it's the positive affirmation of the creation. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what is it, 13.7 billion years ago, there was an affirmation that took place. And we're the living result of it. The mm-hmm. evolutionary wave has brought us to this moment. And it's an awesome, awesome thing if you really look at it, you know. Yeah. You know, four billion years of evolution on Earth, practically, and and, and it, from blue-green algae to human beings gibbering at each other on a radio mm-hmm. podcast. Holy fuck. And we are to the future, just like amoebas are to us. Absolutely. No question about it. Tiny. My, what my question was, when I said, is, does, does it weirdly define it, to use the word God? Because the word God, to a lot of people, does not mean that. To a lot of people, and probably most of the world, the, world, the word God means a deity who created the earth and did it with certain intentions and has rules that you have to follow or there will be repercussions. It's <laughs> a completely different kind of God than what you're describing. Well, it's a... It's, um, if one would give themselves the the pleasure of being introduced to the various faces of God, you know that uh, to uh, expand their minds beyond the any dogma, mm-hmm. don't uh, really submit to the authority of any. Uh, religious dogma right. until you've examined reality, and it has to jibe with science. You know, you're, <laughs> we have awesome tools now for actually analyzing reality. Yeah, we and, can measure shit. Yeah. yeah, so don't leave that out or, or discount it or anything like that. Yeah. And, and uh, so it has to have a sense of justice, all, all the rest of the things that uh, religion has always had. And that's why if we enacted our creative spirits in the service of love, mm-hmm. and that's what happens at Disneyland. You see that, that there's a lot of love in families. To come what may, and they yell at each other, and they don't get along, and they're bitter and whatnot, but maybe for a few hours they can suspend themselves and just delight in being together, uh, having a visionary experience. It's, it's a kind of a, a drop-down visionary experience that takes you outside of yourself. You get pulled in. You lose your ego for a moment and join in a collective imaginal experience. And that, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're playing the Joe Rogan experience drinking game <laughs> and you drink every time someone says the word experience today, you're dead. You're not going to make it. Don't play this game. Shots. Stop it. Don't play this game. 
Um, the, my, my just point was that the word God has already, it's like so, to so many people, I, I well, absolutely agree that, that, that what your Our concept of yeah. God must evolve, okay? It can't be stuck in a fundamentalist uh, definition, just like our definition of religion. As Bob Jesse, my dear friend who uh, counsel on spiritual practices, he said, Alex, you know, there's a, uh, a primary religious experience, and then there's everything else, you know. <laughs> and, and so the primary religious experience was this contact with the divine, and uh, that was at the heart, the mystic... The, Every one of these world, we said Eastern and Western civilization started with psychedelic reality. Okay, then look through all the major world religions. They all started with this visionary experience. You know, uh, uh, Moses sees a burning bush. Would the guy next to him have seen it burning? I don't think so. It was his neurons that were burning. He was, he was ignited with this voice of God and with this experience of this fire, not unlike Joseph Smith's fire, uh, a fire which is a visionary fire. Do and, you know that Jerusalem uh, scholars have uh, recently started attributing that to a psychedelic experience? <gasps> Most, yes! Yeah. Well, awesome! Apparently, there's actually science behind it, apparently. Yeah. The acacia tree uh-huh. is a very DMT. high content of DMT. DMT. Yeah, and that, that bush, the acacia bush, it's very common in that area. The burning bush, he talks to God, he finds out how men should Holy shit, the DMT trip yeah. was the foundation of this uh, uh, Jewish um, Completely makes Messiah. Sense. Nothing, totally. is, nothing has... Well, what was the manna growing out there, man? It's, good, it's a good question. Was that buy, the growing on the sacred calf that yeah. they were worshiping because, like, exactly. hey, man, we eat the stuff that grows out of their poop, you know? Yep. Well, no. yeah, I mean, no question that that was uh, not not that just that cows were worshipped because of that. They were sacri- They were you know they they, they they didn't eat them because they were worshiping them because yeah. they created these these mushrooms that would let them communicate with God. Exactly. There, there can be no clearer when you're talking about poor people in India. There could be no clearer example of an entheogen being a a connection to God that then you literally don't kill these animals that you could use for food yes you literally starve but you do milk them and 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 it's of uh interdependent kind of symbiotic um positivity Mm -hmm. you know for each one and there's a a friendship that develops between the creature world and the human world this sense of uh camaraderie with the creature world but in her case the actual creature in disneyland we don't experience these creatures all the time. We live in the cities. We forget about our connection with the creatures. And so a trip to Disneyland may remind you, even if a, you know, in an anthropomized way, uh, but they have really been working on that too. They'll go down uh, you know, and open a, a zoo uh, element and try to, try to care for animals because they're part of the human story. The the animals are p- branches on the evolutionary tree that we're in relationship with in this mighty evolutionary patchwork that is the mycelium of consciousness on the earth that runs through everybody. It is pretty fascinating that we have, I mean, humans, for the most part, think of animals, you think of your dog, your cat, and then some shit that's in a, a cage somewhere that you can go stare at, or something that you can watch on a DVD. 
but it, it, it really is fascinating when you stop and think about the vast majority of animals on this planet are not us. Like, this no. is not our planet. No. We, we are on this thing. We've just figured out how to build these really stunning structures that keep them out for the most part. But yes. even that, like, there's, they've, they've been spotting coyotes in Manhattan lately. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. had several coyote spottings in Manhattan. Wonderful. There was a Those are the line. shamans. Coyotes are? Yes. They're cat eaters. That's what they are. <laughs> yeah. And rat eaters, maybe. And That's stuff. true, too. They're yeah. coming in uh, for help, you know. And th- it's interesting to see who thrives and who uh, declines in the animal populations in these uh, really difficult times, I'm afraid, we're uh, going through, mostly caused by humans. And as far as like the polluting of the yes, earth of course, and, yeah. and the, the heating up of the atmosphere and the and the um, political suicide and 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 you know it, it, it's like I feel like uh, it's the mighty mission of art to try and uplift humanity beyond its self destruction. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why all creators need to really consider the ethical um, stand that they're taking in uh, their culture. And uh, not just uh, be like soldiers of fortune. Uh, if you're selling your soul that cheaply, you know, if you're not taking people to some kind of creative source and positive force that is at the heart of their own creative spirit, if you're not trying to ignite and uplift uh, people's souls, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? What about people that would just try to be entertaining? Is that uplifting someone's soul? I mean, if Maybe. someone just. It might be. Is it always at the expense of someone? Are we are we always making fun of people? Is that the highest that we can reach for in terms of our of our? Uh, I mean, it doesn't hurt to disarm our kind of uh, pompousness, you know, to try and uh, knock down everybody. I think that there's positivity in that, you know, so that we're you know less uh, less you know pompous. Uh, some of my favorite humor is people getting shit on. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, so do I. And we love the drama. Like Kinnison. So, and, oh, know, he's amazing. And uh, my friend Joey Diaz yeah. would just yell at people for serving them ranch dressing. It's very negative. <laughs> but it's yeah. hilarious. It, stir, it stirs things up. Well, you know, we saw, but it's fiction. We, it's, it's, it's like watching a movie with fake violence in it. You know, yeah. It's like watching people get killed by werewolves. You know, yeah. It doesn't really freak me out because there's no werewolves and it's not real. I right. enjoy it. It's fun it's just right. a silly created piece of art it's a ride mm-hmm. you know and it mm-hmm. is you know it's obviously at somebody's expense that guy who fucked up and went in the basement that guy gets it you know yeah uh yeah. but it's i still enjoy it what does it feed in them what does you it know? feed in comedy when and what is it what does it feed in uh the human soul well it gives the human soul an escape for a short amount of time and gets them to think about how ridiculous something that someone just said even if it's really negative how yeah. preposterous and ridiculous it is especially done in the form of stand-up comedy and uh for me i i, I just enjoy it as an art form i enjoy offensive comedy as an <laughs> art form like i enjoy andrew dice clay i think he's hilarious yeah. i yeah. I, yes. I treat him like i i treat a band that i enjoy i like what they're <gasps> doing i like what they're doing it's fun for me well it's, you know it's a, it's a work of art it's certainly not if i wanted to talk to him as a human being and that was what his is point of view on life represented no he's saying a bunch of shit that is really silly and he, he's doing it to, you know in this character because he knows it's funny he knows what he's doing he's no he knows how to make you laugh and it's not there's a big difference between that and it representing his life philosophy hmm. representing who he mm-hmm. is as a person mm-hmm. it's art 
You we know? need stand-up philosophers. Yeah, we do and we don't. We also yeah. just need comedy. You know, <laughs> You're right. You're right. There's plenty of philosophizing going on in this podcast. Yeah. You know, if I <laughs> applied this amount of philosophy to my stand-up, I'd fucking be, <laughs> no. No one, no one would show up. People would go to sleep. I hear, yeah. After a while, they'd be like, if to, to come to command someone's attention for an hour and ten minutes, yeah. you have to be funny. Yeah. And you have to work on being funny. And it's like you, you can't have. There's a certain amount of philosophy yeah. that people will accept, and certain amount that if you're trying to get a point across yeah. you have to throw in yeah. you know you, you really have right. to explain people where yeah, you're coming you're right. from but the beautiful thing about the podcast is uh, when I was younger I always thought that, like w- one day I would have like a message like as a comic you know the, like my, my comedy was so juvenile and ridiculous and a lot of it is about sex and stupid shit and I was like well someday I'll, I'll, I'll uh, evolve my comedy to the point where it's like it's got like a message because I admired certain comics that had that hmm. but then as I got older and especially as I started doing the podcast that became less and less interesting to me like hmm. I don't want to hear your point of view through stand up it's just the same way yeah. I don't want to hear a complex idea described through a song mm-hmm. I want you to tell me tell me what you really think and they explained to me over with all the words possible in the most descriptive and intricate and objective and subjective way possible. I want you to explain it to me with your own words. Yeah. You do that just through stand-up. It's a limited medium. It's not mm-hmm. what it's for. It's right. for it's for cracking jokes. Yeah. It's for making people laugh. Yeah, right. And if it is, it's at someone's expense, <laughs> the way I feel like, it's tough shit. Yeah. You should be able to take the hit. You should if be you're not uh, looking laughing at life, about this yeah. instead of feeling so serious about not it. Not only that, I don't think it's good to enforce the, the idea that people should be so fucking sensitive when it comes to people communicating about them. Yeah. I yeah. think there's far too many people that get butthurt too easy in this country, in this world, in this in this universe. I think we have to be able to make fun of things, and you have to be able to laugh at your own self. Right. You, and and when, you, when you say, oh, it's at someone else's expense, sometimes they need that shit. Mm-hmm. So, some people are right. ridiculous. Right. And some people look for every fucking opportunity to cry or be negative or whine about shit or do something mm. stupid. And, and those people, I think it's culturally, it's important to knock them down. It's mm. important. It's important to all laugh together. Yeah. It's important for them because right. if they're doing ridiculous behavior and you they highlight that ridiculous yeah. behavior, it benefits them because yeah. now they get a chance to see that, oh, everybody thinks I'm a fucking dummy. That's uh, part of how we evolve consciousness yeah, exactly. by becoming conscious of something that appears to be a wrongdoing. And if they can't accept people. that, they, all they're doing is dragging their heels behind the evolution train. That's yeah. what they're doing. They're kicking at the all dirt, right. trying to slow down the train. They don't want to evolve themselves. So they right. don't want to have anything. Because if you're making fun of them unjustly, guess what? It won't be funny. If there's, right. no wor- there's no truth to your words... It won't spontaneously make people laugh because yeah. you've spoken a truth exactly. that no one will say, and it scares the crap out of people, you know, like when Bill Hicks would let loose on things, you know, it was like, oh my God, can he say that? He said that. Yes, you know, and yes. every time he would say something, you know, it was, oh, oh my God, I didn't know I was going there and there. Yeah. And it was a genius, you know, of, of uh, uh, carving territory. But he also... If he, even if he painted hell, he painted a little bit of heaven, too. And I love that about yeah. him. Yeah, he really did. He uh, had some great points that weren't necessarily even funny, but he wanted to make them when he, when he was doing certain bits. And, but he was so interesting that he carried it anyway. You know, he, yeah. he had this like, thing that he wrote down, uh, like uh, the Bill Hicks r- rules for stand-up or something like that. I forget mm-hmm. what it was. But one of them was, I'm paraphrasing it, that you didn't always have to be funny 
just be interesting. Like there's sometimes you, you, you use the funny, you get the funny in there, and then you could tell them something that is entertaining for a brief moment, just not <laughs> necessarily funny. You know, it's a, it's a tricky thing to do in stand-up, especially and not be preachy. That's yeah. where shit gets yeah, yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's annoying for people. They go see a comedian and they yeah. get really preachy. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah I hear that. Be, because it's the intoxicant of the stage, you know, you're allowing people to have a massive amount of control over the influence that they have on you. Yeah. To stand up on top with, with a big spotlight on you and an echoey voice and, you know, magnified <laughs> voice. All of that is ridiculous. So because you're in this situation, it, it, there comes a time where a lot of people do things just because they want, they want people to think they're smart. They do things just because this is going to get a big impact. This is going to... And then they got to start getting really preachy. And that's what it is. It becomes disingenuous. You, you lose this connection with the comic. Well, I saw uh, Lily Tomlin do something extraordinary, you know, like... Uh Signs of Intelligent Life on Earth, or something like that. I heard that know? was very good. And uh, even you know, even though uh, uh, it, it came out of love and self-reflection, and that kind of thing is really rare. And I'm all all I'm doing is saying all of culture is necessary, and every the freedom of expression is is uh, guaranteed, absolute. I think in the uh, and it's the only way that the creative spirit can feel free enough to do anything and to explore uh, and evolve into territory. But if you're going to then call it something like sacred art or if you're going to try and reintroduce... Because my wife and I had these mystical experiences, and what are you going to do then? Oh, I think I'm just going to make art about the marketplace because that's the only thing that's going these days, you know. Or maybe I should do some kind of vulgar, uh, uh, transgressive thing to really uh, make a spectacle and things. Or or maybe I should uh, critique corporate, uh, you know, vacuity or uh, something like that. No, the mystical experience, that's the most important thing. And throughout history, uh, see, the reason that Bob Jesse said, uh, don't give the fundamentalists the word religion, it's, you know, then, then, okay, you can't evolve that concept. It's too important a concept to let go of. And uh, so you have to evolve it. You have to uh, take it on and say, okay, there was a primary... Uh, religious experience that was the mystical experience that was the visionary experience that contacted uh, such as the Moses moment or mm. these various kinds of things those things recur and they continue and uh, so there is contact with a sacred reality and if we look at love just people still believe in love and they feel it from uh, their kids and things now that means love is a cosmic force God or creator, whatever name you want to say, or just the Big Bang brought us. And in a, uh, if anybody looks at uh, the uh, amount of intelligence that it goes to create a cell, you know, Dr. Hoffman, Albert Hoffman, the uh, discoverer of LSD, used to uh, talk about, do you think it would be possible um, for the parts of a cathedral to be laid out on a football field and to assemble themselves into a cathedral. Now, uh, you think of the unlikelihood of that, even given the, you know, like an infinite time, and you know that it takes intelligence to build a cathedral. And he said, a uh, self-reproducing cell is much more difficult to construct than a cathedral. 
and it is done in such a, uh, my, um, microscopic way that uh, you have to, a, a good scientist would simply infer that uh, the uh, intelligence uh, that constructed the universe is at work in, in so many systems that we see around us. And uh, you would, even if you, part of your small mind is absorbed with the daily uh, bullshit that uh, comes floating by your uh, screen, and you get upset about it, and you get hooked into your emotions and all that stuff, <laughs> on the background reality, if you could just lean away from the bullshit and uh, tap into the infinite that is always there, the divine creative spirit that really turns people on. That's the thing that people want to experience, the ecstasy of creation. You know? And when you're even gardening or when you're cooking a new kind of soup or you're being creative, you're happier. You're not thinking about the, the thing that she said to you or the, or the thing that uh, he did or, or the, how terrible the world is or anything like that. You're, you've transcended the chatter of the mind, br you know, briefly, and entered a creative flow that is an intuitive flow that is just a, a, just a plane of consciousness higher uh, than the, most of the current uh, video screens that people are tapped into. So if you could just begin to lean away from that uh, mental stuff and back into the, the, the creation that brought us here, then you'd see, like, wow, okay, things aren't really so fucked up, actually. You know, okay, so we blow it. Look at the magnificence of this um, intelligent uh, evolution to a point where we have, even though we don't know what reality is and, it, and it, this part of the imagination and consciousness, these are great mysteries. That's, you know, uh, we are God speaking to God. We're consciousness uh, speaking to consciousness is the way that I see you. You're tapped into so many networks. You're part of a, a wider intelligence that encircles the globe and that listens avidly for your independent uh, advocacy for points of view that are very marginalized in society. It's an extremely important stand to take as a cultural hero to many that you uh, uh, will acknowledge certain things that are not popular but you feel it's important to say. So your work comes from a place of the heart and a place of justice and a place of uh, kind of righteous uh, understanding of the multiple dimensions that we all dwell within. Well, it also, my, my point of view comes from a person that feels that, like how I know myself and my uh, tendencies to, to get in bad patterns in my own life and how I've overcome that and how I've sort of molded my mind and changed the way I thought about yes. just reality, my interactions yeah. with human beings, all yeah. these things. I know that I'm not unique in my ability to do that. I know that a lot of people have done that, right. can do that, and are doing that. And one of the yeah. things that's been the most positive uh, benefit of this podcast for sure is running into so many people that have said that listening to these conversations and, and, and taking in these 
different points of view, these well-considered points of view, has, have actually benefited their lives, changed their lives. People are eating healthy Isn't food. Isn't that awesome? People are exercising. Yeah, it's Isn't amazing. That, it's direct transformation. It's, it's the, um, I guess, the fourth quadrant of how uh, art uh, and a podcast is a work of art. Yeah. It's not only visually beautiful, but, uh, you know, Brian's been weaving in the sound effects. and It's a work of art. That's not art. Don't tell them that's art. Okay, okay. Jesus but what are you doing? I don't want to inflate anyone. You do but I'm next saying next hour will just be bing, <laughs> meow. Right, yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa. None of that. Don't, don't, uh, don't yeah. encourage him. Oh, you son of a bitch. There it goes. It's, it's, so it's a shaman's rattle. Um, uh, that is a shaman's rattle, right? Is it shaman or shaman? Uh, I've, I've used both. At varying times, yeah. Some say shaman, yeah, some it's a tricky one. Shaman. It's like Bahrain, right? Yeah, Bahrain. <laughs> um, it's not it's, cool. So you're, you're, you, this gentleman who you quoted about the use the word religion. Don't give it up to the fundamentalists. Yeah. You feel the same way about the word God. It's yeah, like don't give exactly. it to people that have a narrow definition of it. You just Keep use it, it. Use it, even though there is a. Uh, <clears throat> A standard definition that a lot of people sort of think, oh, you're religious. Are you a Christian, sir? Do you believe Jesus is your savior? And then things get strange. Well, you that, know, you know, ideology. That, that, yeah, the ideology uh, can ensmall in us. Yeah, and if it we, absolutely does. And so uh, the real religion, the primary religious experience, is direct contact of self with God. Now, that is still valid and important. And then the ability to let go and reach these uh, strange realms of higher consciousness that are available with and without help from any sort of entheogen. Absolutely. Prayer and meditation sure. alone as the royal road, you know. Uh, the mind is very variable. It's very variable in its frequencies. It's very variable in where you can take it. And uh, my, my own experiments with, uh, I shouldn't say experience, uh, it, part of my life is isolation tanks. It's yes. a, a huge part of my, my development as a human. That's a fabulous kind of late 20th century um, uh, addition to spiritual practices that and unfortunately John Lilly really uh, founded. And he was one of the psychedelic fathers of um, this. I, I see... By the way, I should say something about Lily yeah, that just yeah. came out today. Um, they're, they're showing or the, on Twitter; it's going crazy. Uh, right. Ketamine used yeah. to cure depression. Wow! I mean, they're saying that it's one of the most effective uses of uh, a cures for depression they've wow. ever found. Really? Yeah. Ketamine From repeated or simply one dose? Well, one dose has an impact. The same thing oh, they were saying about psilocybin. Sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah. you know, uh, I don't, I don't know exactly wow. which, uh, what they're claiming. Well, is. yeah, vitamin. But K. Lily was a, vitamin a fabulous proposal of ketamine oh my god i well you know ketamine has an interesting kind of um shadow side too yes. that i've seen uh it's very addictive um, yeah for people and i uh i never saw that in the classic hallucinogens uh that were psilocybin or um even lsd or dmt they're not really addictive in right. the in the uh kind of strict sense so uh, ketamine is one of those interesting new uh, substances. Uh, it, it was extensively studied in the uh, 60s in the Vietnam War and used actually as a battlefield uh, medicament. And uh, then uh, small amounts of it snorted or smoked and various things like that take people into these um, dimensional... I, I, it's kind of like a catapult for your consciousness. It goes flinging out 
uh, if you're laying down uh, into uh, what seems like a very rapid motion of your consciousness going very fast, even though you're laying down, and over a texture, a, a kind of a vast texture. And uh, we, we had these kind of openings into the void uh, that were very profound and very uh, heart-opening in a way. It is a, um, a horrible club drug, though. It's, it's, it should I've be used uh, very sparingly, yes. and it should be treated with great respect. I, but I, yeah, I never heard, uh, uh, like, I had a number of, of friends. I never got into it, frankly. Yeah. You know, I did, uh, we were injected with it, I think, a couple of times, like, back in the 70s. And uh, it was a, you know, it was an available thing, and a, and a psychiatrist uh, gave us that experience. And it was, um, it was profound. My friend Todd McCormick, do you know Todd? Marijuana activist, very, oh. very interesting guy. Uh, he got injected by John Lilly himself with wow. ketamine in Lilly's isolation tank. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, and he went deep, and he was he was kind of freaking out in the tank. Yeah. So Lilly shoot shoots ketamine into himself, gets in another tank, and goes and visits him. Whoa! Whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that is that is high tech shamanism. Uh, yes. That is high tech shamanism. Oh, yeah. That uh, you know, hey, I ventured into the yeah. coincidence control here that uh, I'm not familiar with, and it's I'm really freaking out. And uh, so, I mean, he might have even uh, had to, uh, you know, pay a little something to his uh, buddies who uh, run the machines uh, to uh, get his friend back. What would you? What happened? Pay? What? a piece of your consciousness? What do you have to give up? Oh, uh, no, it was just like, uh, hey, hey, I'll give you my sex. I'll give you my sex? Yeah. Those, I'll so th- change from male to female. Really? John Lilly? He changed from male to female? I believe he did. Whoa, 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 whoa. So you're saying that my friend Todd McCormick and his irresponsible use of ketamine forced <laughs> no, no, John no, no, to no, no, a no. female? No, no, no. I think no, that's no. what you just said. Well, I, I don't mean it. I'm so just fantasizing. Is that, like, did uh, he do that, though? Did he change He did sex? do that. I don't think it had anything to do with your friend at all. Okay. Uh, it was, uh, for him, I'm sure, an ev- a creative evolutionary step. So ketamine essentially he can marched make, toward can, the divine feminine and whoa, embraced it. Oh, that's interesting. Well, a lot of people believe that that is the number one problem with the world is the the, the repression of the fe- yeah. of the divine Just, feminine. Yeah. Absolutely, the fact he that was, testosterone exists in he, uh, an intelligent life form that is evolving past past yes. the, the 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 actual form of the, that we recognize matter in into a nuclear. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, like you know. what. What else was he then? If, if people are prophets, if people are prophets of something, he was a prophet of transformation and the use of all technology available for accessing the human biocomputer and uh, coincidence control. Right. And so he really believed in a spiritual reality, but it was a completely uh, informed by Eureka and all the rest of the uh, systems that he was familiar with, but I think very legitimate. And one of the most densely detailed descriptions from a, a, you know, uh, this trans-dimensional realm that we 
currently have. And his incredible invention of the isolation oh tank. Oh, my God. Such a brilliant, brilliant invention. Yeah. He was trying to figure out how to separate the mind from the sensory input of the body. Yes. And he couldn't get there with meditation, couldn't get there with yoga. He couldn't, couldn't quite get there. He was always conscious of his body. So he figured out how to do this. And the first sensory deprivation tank was like a scuba tank. Yeah. Where you, or you had like a, 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 a helmet, a scuba helmet, and you would float like from your neck they use and that they, in altered states, yeah, you know, to yeah. uh, describe. But, Initially, the first, yeah. they, it was pretty chronological in that respect. Yeah. They started off with the That's vertical right. one That's right. and then went to the horizontal one it once they figured evolve. out how to use salt in it. Mm-hmm. But his old ones, he used to have like waste evacuation systems yeah. where he would shit and piss in the tank. For a long time, yeah. you know, the... Uh, you know, because he was interested in long-term immersion. Yeah. And uh, this was basically a replication of something that had been done for many centuries. I'm sure you're familiar with it. You know, the Yanti practice in uh, Tibetan Buddhism is all about the dark retreat. You go into the dark, and uh, y- yes, uh, uh, you know, all these things that uh, he talks about, that you're still dealing with gravity, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the intention is the same, yes. to remove all uh, distractions and to be surrounded by darkness. Well, I wouldn't and, even call it to, distractions. And to be awake. Yeah. Um, you know, and you lose consciousness of your body so much and are able to access your imagination. Now, Ibn Arabi thought that, uh, and he was a Sufi mystic, uh, my favorite, uh, your favorite Sufi mystic? Absolutely. You have favorites? Absolutely. What's your top ten? <laughs> well, Rumi would be right next, of course. You know, but Ibn Arabi was the most scholarly, and he called the imagination your angel. That is the place where God meets God. Hmm. And so uh, that that is the visionary mystical experience that uh, runs through all world religions and he details it and there are celestial hierarchies that uh, Plotinus describes in exactly the same way. They had a cross-cultural, although they were writing it at different times, it wasn't dissemination, it was all direct knowledge. And uh, so these were, these were people that were getting it from the highest uh, command and it came through their um, it came through their unique lens of their language, and so they each had unique prayers to be in contact with this creative uh, force. And uh, he really did emphasize the sacredness of the divine feminine. And Lily. He's, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I- Ibn Arabi. I- Ibn Arabi. And uh, so the great mystics have quite often done the same thing. You know, I mean, what do we have more art of? Uh, goddess sculptures. You know, the goddess mm-hmm. is the symbol of beauty, a symbol of love uh, for humanity. And although it gets perverted and things like that, if you step back and just look at the flow of art history, you know, back from the 40,000 years ago to today, what is celebrated? The beauty of uh, the divine feminine mm-hmm. and uh, worshipped, really. Really, truly new age shamanism, the creation of this sensory deprivation tank is the the creation of something that allows you to take this practice of solitude and darkness to a completely new level and literally remove the body, remove the body from the equation. 
and uh, Lily created Well, you're still aware of the smell, and you're still aware, yeah. but it's much less. Not really, because all factory senses only ch- detect change. As long as you don't fart in the tank, you're not aware <laughs> of the smell, because yeah. you won't be aware of anything. You, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. Your nose will stop receiving any changes in input. i see the one you've got. Jeez. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, well, it was created by this guy, uh, Crash, from the Float Lab. A Float oh. Lab is in Venice, and it's the best place in the country. Wow. He's a really mad scientist when it comes to it. There's the filtration systems that he uses are the, the highest standard. And he's pushing for like an industry standard to try to get people to uh, start uh, taking these things seriously as far as like uh, how you can clean the water to make mm-hmm. sure that you could use them commercially. Yes. So people well, have you know, thoughts about have that. You, have you been to uh, Munich and to the float uh, experience? No, I've there? never been to Munich. Well, well, maybe I have. Well, I was in Germany. I forget where I was, actually. Sorry. Well, it was for a fight. What happens is uh, you go into this huge tank. It's like a king-size bed, but mm-hmm. bigger. Of water and eight inches deep, I guess. And so uh, you lay down and it's the salt and it's really warm and nice. And it goes down to a very, you know, like ultramarine blue. It doesn't go totally black. And there's, and you can close your eyes and most of the, and, and it doesn't change at all. And it's, it's just the most pleasant uh, and amazing uh, a relaxation kind of experience, and he's woven it into the German businessman. Now, the you know, on lunch hour, uh, they'll come in and say, "Wow, man, I really need to unwind." And it's let's just like a half hour later, they're like, "Whoa!" It's just yeah. like they were meditating. It does wonders for me, especially after I do uh, jujitsu classes and I'm nice. exhausted and yeah. strained out. It like it lengthens your body, mm. like your 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 muscles. They contract and tighten yeah. up. And what I mean by lengthen is is they they relax and sort of extend. They they relax mm-hmm. and pull away. It, like it, everything feels like it sort of just takes a be- big deep breath. Like all of your tissue, like. Mm. <sighs> It relieves so much tension. It's it's and it, by the way, it also it benefits your body. Um, it, it's one of the best sources of magnesium because um, ma- the magnesium is entering your body through the Epsom salts in your mm. skin. It's actually very healthy for you. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, you know the uh, the filtration system that they had was unique and patented. John Lilly's? No, the one in oh, no, the in float one? in Germany. Yeah. And they were they saw themselves as continuing to work, you know John's uh, obvious, mm-hmm. you know uh, invention, and uh, uh, move it forward also in a similar way that your friend uh, is doing out there in Venice. That sounds like a great idea, though, to have just a really light blue, so you can even open your eyes and just the the idea of doing it for as a short term relaxation mm-hmm. thing that would be very pleasant. It's it's extremely uplifting, and probably the color has something to do with it. Yeah, you know? people love blue. Yeah. Like uh, for professional pool, they found out that the color, a light blue, a light calming blue, like a blue sky, yeah. Yeah. is like the best color for seeing objects around it as far as like uh, seeing edges, the edges of the ball and things wow. like that. The light blue is what really just uh, appeals to the eye. They used, they used to think it was green. Mm-hmm. It was green for the longest time, but now they uh, they go with light blue. That... That feeling Cobalt. of 
Yeah, the the feeling of floating also um, in the the release of all the input that's coming in from the body allows you to take in information better. And what Crash has been working on over at the Float Lab is what he calls a cellular influence device. And the idea behind it is it is a a screen that fits in front of your your visual peripheral, like from Mm. here to here. (laughs) And it is the lowest emission of light that's physically possible. So you literally don't see the edges of the... The, the television at all. You see nothing other than whatever is being broadcast. Right. They figured out how to tune that in. It took him years to figure right. this out. And he has these speakers that are in the water, literally, mm. on either side of nice. your ear. They're all, it's all sealed up, and so they're underwater. And you're in this thing, and first of all, the sound moves the water. It mm. pulsates the water. Nice. So you feel the sound. You feel you it in your fucking it? toes. Yeah, you do whatever you want. I mean, mm-hmm. what Crash is trying to do is get people to start coding uh, documentaries and uh, instructionals to it because he thinks mm. it'll speed up li- learning by yes. a staggering amount. That's, said, that's uh, remarkable. It's an yeah. immediate kinesthetic um, yeah. uh, kind of taking it on a cellular level, informing your, your cells all yeah. over. And also the retention is just far stronger and greater because of the fact there's no distractions while it's going on. Hmm. The same as, I mean, in theory, <laughs> this all needs to be tested. But I, I can tell you that as far as just your sheer horsepower for concentration, to me there's never been anything like it in my life. Other than psychedelic experiences, but I consider it a very psychedelic experience. Oh. And you know, it probably came to him yeah. in that state, and it was used to study that uh, thing. That's I, how the shamans say, you know, like uh, the plants told us. You know, yeah. it was like the uh, he was one of the first really uh, scientists to do deep studies with uh, LSD. I find that fascinating, and I find that so hard to believe. Uh, I I don't. I, I also find it amazing how few scientists today openly discuss psychedelic experiences and are enthusiastic about Well, they'll about be them. ostracized. Isn't that amazing? It's sad. It's, well, it's, it's amazing. It's the same reason that more artists don't talk about it either. It's a, it's They're a, not mutually exclusive. You know, the people have to understand that silly behavior, yes, can be attributed to recreational drugs or recreational drug use. But A, one, that's not what we're talking about. No. And B... Just because someone is involved in something that other people are using recreational doesn't mean there's not some massive benefit to it that can be discussed by scientists on a, you know a, a really scholarly level. There's something going or on that can truly benefit humanity by harnessing a, a substance that Most may certainly. help people access their expanded states of awareness. Now that is what Dr. Hoffman wanted, and I quote him at length uh, on his. 101st birthday, he wrote the most remarkable thing about the promise of uh, the entheogenic sacraments and about how he hoped, because he always felt tremendously guilty for anyone who had, uh, you know, uh, taken a wrong turn or not been, you know, it had had catalyzed their uh, predisposition to uh, to a psychotic state. Borderline personalities should avoid it entirely. People who have a history of mental illness, you know, without uh, professional uh, use, they should avoid these things for sure. But sometimes people take them. And so it, it haunted him horribly. And he, he, he was never an advocate, but he, at the end of his life, really, you know, he kind of told people about it. He, he on stage, would say that, you know, I, I synthesized it in 1938, 
Uh, we tested it on animals. Nothing happened. You know, and then five years later, you know, in uh, April, he, he starts to hear a voice that asks him to resynthesize this particular molecule. Now, he synthesizes thousands and thousands of molecules, but he said never before had he heard that voice calling him to do a particular thing, so he did it. And uh, then uh, April 19th, when he finally uh, basically dosed himself in 1943, um, at 420. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, 419 at 420. P.M. P.M. He, uh, in his journal, he writes, uh, that was his, uh, that's when he took it. And, uh, is that the origin of 420? No, no, it's Can't not. Can't be because that wouldn't no, make sense. No, it isn't. But it's an interesting coincidence. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, it ha- it may have had some sequential elegance in his own uh, journal writing. It wasn't randomly that he chose that time to do it because it was an experiment that he was wondering about. But he but he brewed up the the tiniest amount that any uh you know that is for sure not active by any substance known to humanity uh if you take 250 millionths of a gram nothing happens with anything that's that's like uh uh what do they call it homeopathy you know it's that kind of dosage but little did he know that he had stumbled upon the most potent psychoactive substance of all times, you know, it's, you know, many times uh, more potent and powerful than any other uh, sacrament in those tiny amounts. And so um, he was catapulted into a, a, a kind of chaos that he thought he was dying, of course, you know, and, and he just didn't want to die in the lab. He wanted to just go home, you know, to die. And so he was freaking out feeling for sure he had poisoned himself, and he and his assistant rode their bicycles back. And, of course, that's why they call it Bicycle Day, you know, uh, 419. And uh, that he made it home, and then they called... It was April 19th? April 19th. It was April 1943. At 4.20? Yes. Yes. That there was a... Uh, I, I did a painting uh, that's in to, the Net of Being book. Uh, we need to bet the lottery. We need to call. <laughs> we need to put some numbers down. <laughs> well, you know what happened that same day? What? Probably around the same time. What? Well, there was a Warsaw ghetto uh, uprising that happened in the wake of the Nazis wanting to burn down the Warsaw, ge- Warsaw ghetto. And it never happened before. There was a spike in the novelty uh, curve that day that uh, was off the charts. And uh, they, it, it led to a siege. It never happened and never happened since. Whoa. What the fuck's up with that that number? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Do you do? You, does that make sense? It's a synchronicity that's just uh, interesting. The you know something I've been noticing, uh, and I can't explain it at all. But it's just one of those mystery things, like you were saying, like in your dream you see these various things. You know they're they're saying something. They're all. It's almost like God is a punster. You know, and putting visual rebuses us for uh, this is a visual language, you know, in front of us. Have you ever uh, looked into uh, all this stuff that's going on right now in in physics, where 
all these uh, different scientists are proposing the idea that we're living inside of a simulation. And it's becoming more and more prominent today. I got a new thing, <laughs> technologyreview.com, a new thing published by MIT. And this was uh, sent to me through Twitter. So, of course, I, I had to investigate it because I, I'm inundated by this shit. Like, yeah. literally every day, there's, yeah. like, some new study or some <laughs> new proposal about the, the the world being some sort of the universe, the reality being some sort of a simulation. When you see shit like the number 420 coming up over and over again, 419 mm-hmm. and 420, yeah. the, you, just, you know, do you, you ever stop and go, well, maybe that's just the way it was written. It's the cosmic the wink. Code. It's the cosmic wink, you know. There are so many correspondences, uh, I feel, like the, uh, look at what happened to psychedelic culture. After that time, uh, you know, was, uh, there, there came a, a time of tremendous repression. At, but first, there was scientific study. So they actually established the true merits of these substances prior to them becoming illegal. Illegal for political reasons by the way you know hmm uh, not not for free, not and it and i think it's anti-american because america is all about freedom of religion and freedom of point of view and as terence mckenna says you know there's nothing ever been acu- adduced against them except that they give people funny ideas yeah well your definition of america much like your definition of god is not the popular one <laughs> You know, as far well, as the rest of the world, and they I'd think like of what America look, represents, but, I think of a okay, giant okay. military monster. Exactly. Yeah. It's AmeriCorps. That's what I call it. AmeriCorps is that what America has become. Right. It's a living death that's being perpetrated on the world. And it's because of, of this, uh, uh, you know, sellout, you know, of the soul to uh, the military-industrial complex. Eisenhower warned us about it. I was just going to say that, yeah. And so, so, you know, there are various reformers in government that are trying, you know, really trying to uh, shift things, but they're massive forces. You know, the archons, as the Gnostics would say, you know, that are uh, kind of dragging their heels in the evolutionary bell curve. They haven't gotten the message that we're all a unity and that we need to now think about how we can best preserve the life web, not how we can destroy it and make profits for a few years while we watch the weather uh, go haywire. There's never before been uh, a clear indication that the people who are in charge are not they're not tuned into the internet. They, 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 they came about this way. They created yeah. this way long before there was an internet. And this is how it's always been done. And now that it's being exposed all around them, they're mm-hmm. still clinging to this archaic notion of non-connection. Right. This archaic notion that all of your actions, all of your deeds, and all of our thoughts and feelings aren't all connected in some sort of a strange way that we need to recognize, address, and we need to move forward with that as as an ideal that we are all connected. And, you know, yes, absolutely. We have to recover it. We have to recover it. It's big essential. Foreign banks. It's not okay. happening with the Federal Reserve or whoever the fuck mm-hmm. is in charge of sending us to Afghanistan right. or whoever wants us exactly. to put. You know. Yeah. Well, that was a that was an obvious and huge mistake. There's even a a, a page in there called "Remembering 9/11 Before It Happened." You know, now I think that it's pretty remarkable uh, kind of thing that that uh, 
happened there. Of course, who but a spook would uh, do something like that, 9-11? That's a joke, okay? Emergency, you know? That's a spook. That's what do, a joke. What do you mean? What do you mean? Like the, like the 9-11 is mm. the uh, code right. word for emergency. Right, right. Now, outside of America, question mark? You know, like, uh, that's a reference that only an American would uh, would play with mm-hmm. because, uh, okay, so then we have all the explosive evidence about what happened that day. Now, uh, you know, the burning of the Reichstag and all that, have we forgotten history? You know, it's a massive distraction to, uh, you know, uh, stop the, everybody from paying attention to Enron and go into some place that never attacked us. That's this is your point. The of view. Iraq War. What was that based on? But a lot of uh, lies, and Afghanistan the same way. That uh, there was a need to sell weaponry and to spend money on these, uh, you know, uh, these mercenaries in order to uh, satisfy a certain hunger, and this uh, hunger is the shadow, is the set, setian energy that dwells in the desert and, is, uh, and we are living off of. What we need to become is a solar-powered uh, humanity. We are still struggling with Set and Horus, who fought an epic battle thousands of years ago in the deserts of Egypt and continue it today. The soul of humanity has to go toward the light and find new energy uh, means to, uh, uh, to bring us out of our dependence, our addictions, to uh, the destructive web of uh, this uh, kind of oligarchy that we're enmeshed in. So it's your opinion that uh, September 11th was some sort of a false flag event and it wasn't just incompetence or uh, an attack that was capitalized on by people with nefarious ideas that it was instead planned um or you i would only possible? i would don't yeah i uh entertain that possibility and i think that the entire affair needs to be examined but why i was setting that up and the controversial elements that many scientists bring up not you know, like artists, you know, who, I mean, like but architects people, and engineers. Yes, all those, all those people who analyze the actual material and the pulling of Building 7 as the smoking gun. But, you know, you can go down uh, that and look at it. I think it should be examined. But the, uh, what I find fascinating about the entire thing is the nest of synchronicities that uh, artists uh, were uh, exhibiting on... Uh, that uh, day, uh, there was a, a man who had a studio, an artist, who had a studio in uh, Tower One. A number of artists had studios, actually, in the Twin Towers. And um, his name was Michael Richards, actually. He was a black artist, and he was a sculptor. And remarkable, wonderful work. Did he hate himself? Well, he was uh, he he was a he was an awesome. Uh, that was a bad joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's, he has no that. relationship to that uh, uh, fellow, and uh, just happened to have the same name. And uh, so, uh, his entire uh, body of work was destroyed practically uh, when 
uh, the plane hit the uh, Twin Towers. And um, so a couple months later, uh, some of his friends discover in this uh, museum in South Carolina that they have one of his pieces once been discovered. And uh, it was a self-portrait. Um, and uh, as St. Sebastian, you know, but instead of arrows going through the body, there were airplanes. Wow. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. St. Sebastian and the Tar Baby is what it's called. Wow. Now, that is a fact. Now, uh, I did a painting, like in eight, uh, 1989. It was, it was a vision I had the day our daughter was born, and it became the painting Gaia. Now, what's interesting, you can look in that book, Net of Being. We were in the World Trade Center September 10th. Whoa. 2001. Wow. And uh, I, I put my tag in there, actually. And uh, in the Gaia painting, there happened to be um, two airplanes. And uh, there, uh, there's also the Twin Towers. There's someone who looks strangely like George Bush. He's embracing a terrorist and a diseased dick. And... Uh, I had no idea. It was used in the Beastie Boys' Ill Communication album, which, by the way, has... Uh, uh, I, I can't stand it. Uh, the, the most famous hit from that, uh, from that album was uh, Sabotage. I tell you now, y'all, it was Sabotage. Right. You know, and so there are numerous things planted into the collective consciousness, you could say, but... Then the the uh, the comic book of Superman that came out September twelfth actually uh, had the twin towers surrounded in smoke and helicopters were around them. The first panel, panel one, there was a hip hop group. Everybody remembers this thing. It was released that week after nine eleven. Uh, there was this hip hop group, the Coup, who uh, had two members there, and they were with kind of like plungers, and in back of them the uh, Twin Towers exploding. Now, uh, they were prevented from releasing it because it was September 12th. They said, oh, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. But September 11th uh, in Boston was released live from New York, this uh, particular um, place, uh, this band in Boston, uh, and it had the Twin Towers surrounded in flame. So you think that this these people who are creating this art that are that are envisioning yeah. these images that they're pulling this from some the sort collective of from the collective I mean uh, Close Encounters right remember that moment yes. when they all go into the artist's uh, you know room where they're oh this one drew it and that one yeah. sculpted it yeah. and that one you know like they all got blazed with something yeah. and and it. It, and it's such a fascinating nest of synchronicities that I believe it's unprecedented. Well, your 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 point of view on just reality itself has got to be so much different than the average person's. How often do you bring up this? I mean, this is a, a very controversial and strange thing to say. You know, I mean, it's a very it's requires. I'm not saying that it uh, that you know uh, 
that my painting or various other things uh, necessarily lead to the truth, but they point toward something strange, very strange. I mean, oh, anybody examining the evidence, it wasn't premeditated. Mm-hmm. It, it's remembering 9-11 before it happened. Right. What, what I was saying was, this is uh, you, you just the, the way, I mean, you have to sort of lay this out. How many times have you had this conversation with someone that you could see them go, Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, look at the time. Show, show the evidence, though. Uh-huh. Show Michael Richards' sculpture, which we do right. in this book, Nat of Being. It, and uh, show, show the, um, uh, the, the folks at um, DC weren't, weren't fond of it, so I didn't reproduce their thing. But people can go onto the internet and find it. There's the many DC? M- what is that? DC Comics. Oh. They didn't want the Superman panel reproduced in a oh. thing like that. But you can talk about it, and you can say exactly what happened. And just to pointing it out, you have a sense of the uncanny. There's a coup, see? Uh, and, uh, uh, right? They couldn't release that thing. Well, that's the real image? Yeah, that's it. No, that's not the real image. That was what they fabricated and were to release that week. But were prevented by every good sense, you know, to say, good grief, we cannot... Uh, be doing. This. I didn't mean this is, is that the real image of nine yeah, eleven. I yeah. meant is that the real image from their CD yeah, cover. Yeah, yeah, that was incredible. a CD cover. That That's was incredible. the yeah. So, uh, I mean, this is a smoking gun of some kind of of uh, revelatory breakthrough that was a terrible thing. It was a terrible thing, but it but it leaked through the consciousness of humanity. So you see the power of art as prophecy, mm-hmm. and you see the power of art as. Uh, what could it point us toward? We want to see a sacred possibility. We want to look at their, our highest potential, not look at the destructive. We want to take that power of art and plant seeds of liberation in the minds of, of people, not in this kind of negative world of, of self-destructive nihilist uh, culture and behavior. My, my point of view, or what, what I was trying to get at, was um, when you... Go into this sort of a, a definition of things. It's a very fantastical and amazing sort of a, a concept that there is some sort of a frequency that we're tuning into, and we're getting warnings from from you know future events that will have a, a big ripple in time. How is this normally received when you talk to people? I mean, you're a very unusual guy. How many people can you talk to about this stuff? I think find- it. I think it's unsettling to most people because uh, it's. I, I haven't heard it spoken of, but I, I just happened to be one of the people that got blazed with a vision. I had forgotten about it entirely. I, you know, I knew I would painted some, oh, this is the dark possibility of humanity, and this is the light, this is the nature, you know, and this is what we have to, and here's Al Gore with uh, some basket of fruits and things. What in is the, the name in of the that? Gaia, can you Gaia. pull that up? Gaia, can you pull that up? Uh, a Gaia painting. And, and how uh, long did you do this before September 11th? Uh, it was... Uh, 1989. It was. I had the vision in 1988, the day our daughter was born. You know how powerful you know your child being born is. It it impacts you. So as a, we had been up for three days anyway, and uh, and I I had to leave my wife. They kind of kicked me out, and I had to go do an illustration project. But as I was going over the Brooklyn Bridge, I had this vision. 
you know, and this it was probably the division, you know, of Manhattan and uh, Brooklyn or something, you know. But but I had this uh, this diptych uh, kind of uh, thing. There's a better one on AlexGray.com, but the uh, but that's basically it. The uh, the world tree as the great mother, and the stress uh, that humanity uh, is uh, causing. Dude, the twin towers and the planes—that's fucking trippy. Yeah, so 1989, and uh, uh, there was somebody who bought it, and and of course it was in the uh, the Ill Communication album, and and uh, and then I published it in 1990 in the Sacred Mirrors book, my first book that came out then, and so that was in there, and and uh, um, uh, after 9/11, some people sent me emails and showed me the the picture again, and I I hadn't remembered any of that at all. Wow, that's amazing. That's it's that's really really freaky. When you think about these ideas and these blips and these these signals and whatever it is that you tune into when you become creative, you know when when you think about the the impact that the work that comes out of it has on people. What do you think ultimately we're doing here as humans? Are we're we evolving in a transformative our process. Absolutely, yeah. you can't help but be transformative. Does technology There's, and destruction have anything to do with that? Is of it, course, it's accelerating the uh, you know the, the need for change too. The need for change, the need to grow. It's absolutely. almost like we're threatening suicide unless we do yes, something about it. Absolutely, get and your the, shit together. The, I'm going to blow my brains out. Yes, the waking up is happening. A lot through the interconnectedness of the web of technology. Technology had to happen after an industrial period. All of it has been an evolving intelligence that is finally beginning to see its cosmic origins in the story of uh, of the universe that we've been discovering, and the and the Hubble telescope that shows us the vastness of space and the understanding of dark energy now that connects everything, the clusters of galaxies that had to exist, the the Earth is a rare uh, g- kind of I think of it as the uh, as this um, alchemical. Um, Balancing uh, act. Well, it's 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 you know the alembic that goes around the sort of um, whatever the alchemist puts into his retort or into his into his flask. Uh, this flask uh, then is heated, uh, and it has a special temperature that brings the interior to transformation, and it goes through a lot of different stages. But I think of the uh, Earth and its surrounding geomagnetic field. The geomagnetic field is our alembic. It's our alchemical alembic. Now you look at the Mars, and it no longer has a a magnetic field around it. And so everything has died. And so this magnetic field that surrounds the Earth is our protection from the solar uh, flares and the solar heat uh, the sun and gives that beautiful kind of aurora uh, that happens. And so just at this particular uh, orbit uh, were we in relationship with our guru, the sun, and we have this attraction, you know, but what is attraction? It's the bending of space-time, and you're at a particular circulation, but that circulation has the alembic of the geomagnetic field around it, thus what the experiment of life can unfold 
takes billions and billions of years to grow an intelligence that can start to recognize its own source. That's astonishing. That's a great epic journey of the evolution of human consciousness, and that's what's really going on. Don't read the times, read the eternities, as uh, Emerson said, you know. It's a great quote. Did you ever see the That's Dream Theater uh, album cover? Live scenes from New York City. Check, check yeah, it out. There it is. yeah, there it is. There it is in the, flames. Released 9-11. Yeah. It has the tri- Twin Towers on fire on an apple. That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah. the, um, the future. How do, you, uh, how do you think this is all going to play out? I mean, obviously you believe that you expressing yourself with love and using art and finding creativity elevates the human experience as do I I think there's something yeah. incredible about seeing great art in any form whether it's great music great uh paintings whatever it is or something about seeing someone really tap into whatever it is that is going on when you're being creative whatever it is that you're re- when you're really accessing the imagination yes. that elevates us it, Absolutely. It, you, you see that as an integral part of this experience of this transformative experience that human beings are going through but where do you see it going like, what, do you th- what do you see awakening to our own creative spirit our own unique uh, lens into the infinite one that we all are and reflections of uh, we're uh, you know, ultimately, humanity uh, has a great future. And ter- if you look at the evolutionary bell curve of what's possible for human consciousness and love, uh, how and how primitive it still seems that humanity is in terms of their ability to love one another. You know, we've had great teachers from all over the world, you know, teach us the same thing. The wisdom masters say repeatedly to love each other, you know, and uh, not to kill each other. And it's something that is so simple and so true and so beautiful. And uh, this is the affirmation of the intelligence that built our cells. We have to tap into the, you know, we, we recently had the guest Paul Stamets, uh, visit Cosm a couple of weeks ago at our summer. For folks uh, who don't know, Cosm, what you're referring to is the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors in New York? Absolutely. At the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors in Wappinger, uh, actually, we had the great Myco Eco, uh, or Eco Myco Mycologist, Eco Mycologist Paul Stamets, who's written extensively about uh, the power of fungus and the, uh, he's one of the world's experts in uh, medicinal and um, uh, just the uh, the power of these uh, things to, like, he uses them to soak up oil spills. The uh, oyster mushrooms and things like that have been used to draw hydrocarbons uh, out of uh, uh, water that's been polluted with them. In Chernobyl, in the 30-mile radius around Chernobyl, there are funguses growing, mushrooms growing that are hot, their radiation uh, filled because the mycelium that they fruit from has been drawing all of the radiation from the soil in order for uh, life to come back to the forest. They're the deepest, oldest plant 
on Earth. And human beings themselves diverged from the fungus over 650 million years ago. So we have this connection, this web of connectedness, and obviously uh, a, a connection with the intelligence of the mushroom. And, uh, and Paul, far from the, being a Terence uh, um, sort of endorsing of the, uh, uh, you know, exogenous kind of uh, um, fertilization of the earth with the spore, he believes it was homegrown. And he believes that we're exporting. Uh, so I love that uh, kind of can-do earth-based consciousness that evolved uh, in this alembic. And for those for- who don't understand what you meant by that, what what you you meant for the, the story is that McKenna believes that it's possible that mushrooms came from the vacuum of space. Yes, they arrived here possible. on asteroids. As with it's this, the theory of panspermia, yeah. which is we know amino acids and certain things are transferred, and there are asteroids here from other planets that have landed meteorites. Yeah, and that is also one of the theories about what happened to Mars as well, right? And that's how yes. they lost their environment. It was an asteroidal impact, possible, and certainly we, uh, the human, uh, or the the great chain of being and great chain of evolution that uh, was impacted on the Earth. Certainly, uh, there's a belief that the uh, meteorite, uh, you know, basically ended the era of the dinosaurs and these little. Uh, rat-like things that were our ancestors were able to uh, become more dominant as a, a species and evolve due to the territorial kind of disputes being over with these large lizard people. Yeah, that really was a nice nice break for us. <laughs> <laughs> really? And it had to happen. But, you know, we have big brother Jupiter out there watching our back and True. is taking the heat. You know, he's the bouncer of the uh, whole cosmos uh, or our little solar system. And so only at a certain level, surrounded by a living kind of alembic and shielded by a particular uh, kind of uh, planetary brother, was life of this kind even possible? Think of how many billions of galaxies it might take. We might, well, we certainly are probably the only, you know, Earth planetary consciousness in the universe, obviously. You know, we're a unique little neighborhood. When you say Earth planetary consciousness in the universe, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, there's no other Earth. Right. We're it. We're the Earth. We're the, the, this planet. Yeah. We're the only ones. We're the only ones. It, it evolves uniquely. Darwin showed that mm-hmm. on every little uh, uh, cove or, or things, things evolve a little bit differently. So wherever else life exists, if it does, uh, uh, and it quite, quite likely de- does, uh, most scientists would agree that, but um, uh, is we have a unique jewel. We've been gifted with it from billions of years of evolution don't fucking blow it. That's the most important thing. Yeah. It's, uh, what, what you're saying, if people don't understand it, is that Jupiter has a massive amount of gravity. It's enormous, and it absorbs asteroidal impacts. It, <laughs> it, it sucks them all up. It's like the bodyguard for the Earth. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 It's it, it's it's truly a unique situation uh, as far as uh, what we've studied in the cosmos. But it uh, might be further evidence that there's a simulation. It might be. <laughs> yeah, which is awesome. Well, you know, my experience uh, with, with, with Allison, just to inform that one, uh, our first um, kind of breakthrough um, 
psychedelic experience that changed both of our works. It happened uh, about a year after we first met, like our first anniversary, June 3rd, say, uh, uh, 1976. And we both melted down into uh, these kind of toroidal fountains and drains of light. And every other being and thing in the universe was one of these balls of light. It's like a, a soul. But it was, you know, like a uh, an amazing kind of torus. It was like a toroidal flow. And uh, this thing felt much more al- alive and real than our kind of material world reality. It felt like this is what's really going on. It's, it's eternally and infinitely light. And we are projecting our uh, kind of souls into experiences to have uh, um, enriching educational opportunities and try to wake up. To, God sent us here to wake up to God, you know, to the core of our being, to our God self. That's why this painting that's on the cover of the Net of Being is called God Self, because it's a symbol of our interconnectedness with all other God selves. Is every other being and thing in the network has access to this great, vast intelligence of the cosmos. There's no other reason that we could be here. When you uh, believe that and think that and then see what's going on like with everybody saber-rattling about going to war with Iran, well, what do you, how does that make you feel? I feel very sad, you know, because uh, really it's about uh, break out the peace, monkeys. You know, don't destroy each other. And don't, uh, don't poison the web that sustains you. That is only logical. And by toxifying both the consciousness of humanity, by, uh, you know, entraining people's minds with uh, limiting self-images, instead of accessing our unity as a human species and expand beyond that if you can feel, even though you may hate your neighbor, you know, you may have a gripe here or there, but ultimately you connected with uh, loved ones. Love brought us all here. Love is the highest expression of the cosmos. You know, Albert Hoffman said that the highest refinement of light in the universe is love. Because it took a solar battery like our sun to give birth to a, a, a planet Earth. And it took the evolutionary train billions of years to get here to a point where a consciousness, a brain, was capable of having the experience of love, which was the common source of uh, everyone, the love that brought us all here to recognize it in each other, to honor it in each other through all different ways and to celebrate that amazing experience and to try and, you know, turn the ship around now, folks. You know, don't go over the edge. Don't commit suicide. Do something harder. You know, why is it more impossible, as the Occupy folks said, to imagine the end of capitalism than, or, or how, why is it more uh, easy to imagine the apocalypse than the end of capitalism? You think the, that capitalism is the big problem and it's not just putting money above it. morals? It's part of it, yes. Is All it? of that, because it's not a God-centered consciousness. We've wandered away. You know, uh, Is it possible, though, to have a God-centered consciousness and 
produce all the shit that we produce, to make all the laptops we make, to make all the cars we make. You know what uh, Stephen Jobs was into, my friend. Yeah, yeah. He was into yelling at his employees. Yes. He was into making Chinese people work for $50 a month. He was into a lot of shit. Yeah, there was, but look at the nucleus of where those things that you were just celebrating came from. Well, he made a it beautiful was from company. His, it was from his LSD experiences. Mm-hmm. He credited that with being a tremendous opening for him uh, and informing his uh, breakthroughs in technology. And Carrie Mollis, the Nobel Prize winning uh, molecular biologist, has said exactly the same thing. And many people's lives have been ruined by these things, but many other people's lives have been saved, my own. Um, the, the Francis Crick story, um, is, yeah. is that true? There you go, How, yes. Is that true? Well, you know, it, it, it is Kaku a conjecture. me. It is a. Uh, uh, it was released after his death, right? Because he, by threat of death, said such and so. Now you could say, yeah. "Oh, now somebody's just trying to hijack uh, that breakthrough of the imagination." But then you go back to when it happened, and you realize that actually he was a psychedelic advocate, and he had, um, uh, like many of his scientist friends experimented with these substances which were supposed to catalyze the creative imagination. So he had read the papers, and he had access to these things. And uh, so uh, he, there was no stigma about it. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first Life magazine stuff about uh, psychedelics was extremely positive. And if there was no stigma about it, then why didn't he come out and say it initially? Oh, because uh, by the time uh, that it was a... Uh, yeah, you would think... You would think, but he might not want to sully his uh, breakthrough Creation. by uh, by uh, yeah by by putting anything between uh, the breakthrough insight and the you know then what are you talking about what right. what you know based yeah. on a drug induced hallucination yeah but you know I mean that's the, how the benzene ring was discovered it was in a dream you know and uh, so. Great discoveries come through the visionary imagination. Isn't that how Descartes got the idea of science in the first place? There you go. It was a, a dream. that uh, I think the, the exact quote was that uh, science and nature will be conquered by using measurement. There you go. Well, that was a really important thing, but conquered... Uh, I don't think it was gives a word. it, yeah. I think I probably use well, the word. But that is an aggressive stance Overcome. that that uh, that the um, that. That the male uh, species has has uh, promoted mm. because it's very self-serving, and I think that uh, if you know part of uh, what we're doing at this point and as evolving uh, human beings is trying to create a new model of possibility uh, for humanity in in a realm of sometimes for some people diminishing expectations. So the uh, Paul Stamets uh, point of view of how mushrooms can save the world and how mycelium is actually a network of intelligence that connects us uh, with the plant realm and that we can take advantage of by tapping into the nervous system that humanity diverged from over 650 million years ago. Now that's tapping into cosmic intelligence. Do you follow McKenna's stoned ape theory? Do yeah. you feel like that's yeah. the way? Yeah, a lot uh, of people and even responsible anthropologists uh, think that there's some 
something to it because they certainly would have encountered uh, the psilocybin mushrooms and who can say that it didn't play a part in catalyzing uh, the growth of human consciousness now it was Leary's or I mean Lily well both Leary and Lily's ideas was that it uh, that these substances could advance in the evolution of human consciousness now you look at the Unio de Vegetal which is the uh, first um, psychedelic church for white people, I guess, in the United States. Um, and part of the mission of the UDV, which is a church that originated in Brazil, you know, the heart of the Amazon, from the green mantle of the earth, uh, the green emerald, comes these uh, great wisdom traditions that are spreading throughout the world with ayahuasca. And people are waking up to the mind of nature, um, uh, through these plant sacraments that have been used for centuries, for, you know, thousands of years, actually. And um, more and more anthropologists are saying, well, they were seeing visions in the, in the uh, place. We know that the bog uh, people used to smoke uh, cannabis, and cannabis has been humanity's friend for a long time. Now, a neuroscientist, just to, uh, and, uh, and I'll hand the floor over, a neuroscientist in, quoted in, Scientific American said most neuroscientists would agree that everything that we experience is a figment of our imagination. Most neuroscientists would agree this? That's what she said. She might be crazy. She might be, but she had an entire (laughs) issue of Scientific American optical illusions that it's a yearly publication. And so uh, she argues for this idea of the plasticity of the mind. And when you take these uh, dimensional shifts, you know, like you're changing the the radio station with your um, kind of dimensional shifting that Mm -hmm. some uh, psychonauts are able to do, uh, you're tapping into different wavelengths. So you literally change reality. Absolutely. You literally can change reality. Reality is Well, reality is co-dimensional. Reality is co-dimensional. It's not like you, you know, this conversation changes reality in this dimension, but it also has uh, resonance with another dimension. So it's essentially what we were talking about earlier. It's it's neither real nor not real. And that exactly. There you go. It's a combination of imagination and reality. One of the things that always struck me about imagination is how it's sort of marginalized like the idea of oh that timmy he's got a vivid imagination right you know there's there's something to that but the reality is that every physical thing including this building that we're in including this chair that you're sitting in the microphone that you're talking through all of it was created through the imagination so it did not exist it was thought up through the imagination then became it manifested itself in a physical form and we've become basically numb to the spectacle yeah. of the creation that has unfolded before us. And if we could remove our blinders and notice the awesomeness, you know, and lean away from the jibber-jabber, you know, we could be more at peace and maybe recognize that the same beautiful, uh, true, and good stuff that flows through your heart is flowing through mine. Well, if it is possible, I, I believe that conversations like this are what move uh, the consciousness of the people who listen to this and the people who consider these thoughts and the things that you've said. It, it does move things in a better direction. It moves it in the better direction for those people that are listening. And I think 
if there's any one way we really can change this world, it's to change the way people who are open-minded view it. If you're open and you, you, you introduce a positive new idea into someone's mind, you know, that, that can change them and benefit them in a positive way. So if you really want to change the world, you already just did it. You just did it with this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you're awesome, Joe. And I you're awesome you. too, man. You're, I love you too, man. Your, your work is amazing. And for folks who want to uh, stay up on everything you're doing, they can follow you on Twitter. It's Alex Gray Cosm. C-O-S-M, um, gray, E-Y, not A-Y. Um, and uh, if they want to, f- what is your website? Well, the most important thing that's going on is really the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors project. Okay. We're creating our first sacred structure, our temple. We're building it uh, there. And it is an incredibly important time for us. Uh, if you look at alexgray.com, it'll, uh, well, let's see, Entheon is really the... Uh, the um the thing that we're we're working on now and that is this new sanctuary for visionary art and uh it is uh multi-denominational or trans-denominational acknowledgement of the power of the creative spirit and it's occurring in architecture now and it's a place to house uh the uh this thing it's something allison and i were shown in a dream and uh, she is the co-founder of the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors. She inspired the Sacred Mirrors series. She named the Sacred Mirrors. So the honoring of the Divine Feminine is really at the center of my life, and she turned my life around with her love. And so that that kind of love is, uh, and the creative um, evolutionary spirit that goes through everybody is kind of what we celebrate at Cosm. And uh, so people do uh, a lot of creative, um, you know, there's art church. We just had an awesome art church with other visionary artists. It's happening around the world. Visionary artists are like providing cultural alternatives, you know, where uh, like-minded people, we call them the love tribe, because you find them all over the world, you know, who've awakened to something beyond you know, the stressful, uh, politically charged uh, n- national boundaries, and they're global citizens. They they are tapped into the world-centric intelligence that could help lead us, you know, to a planetary civilization. And they, by the way, probably didn't exist 50 years ago. Yeah, exactly. yeah So that's the big jump. Yeah. That's one of the things when people want to talk about how bad everything is, they're not aware of how good it is, too. Yeah. So Chapel of Sacred Mirrors is a chapel. What is the website? Cosm. Cosm. Cosm.org. Cosm.org. And uh, alexgray.com has just been uh, re- uh, revised by our dear friends Fong and Scotty. Beautiful. And uh, so uh, there there will be updates about Entheon, and uh, it, it's an incredibly um, important uh, step for our community and and uh for visionary art we hope listen man you just rocked a lot of people's worlds today (laughs) you you threw a monkey wrench into the gears of reality for a lot of folks i think that was awesome thank you very much for doing this anytime you you want to do it again i I would love to uh that was it was just too much fun thank you brother um thanks to audible.com for uh sponsoring this podcast and again if you go to audible.com forward slash joe you can try audible for free for 30 days and get a free audiobook and uh, as brian has said and i've said the steve martin one uh on doing stand-up it's what is it called stand-up born standing born up. standing up yeah. it's fucking amazing man it's read by steve martin if i wanted to 
just introduce you to something uh, that would uh, get you to really appreciate the impact of audiobooks. That's my uh, personal uh, idea. Uh, that's uh, Brian's as well. It's um, it's a great choice. Give it a shot, but there's a million books on there. I mean, I don't know how many there are, but it's an incredible amount of uh, in- interesting books on CD or on audio, rather, uh, an MP3 form that you can listen to pretty much anywhere. And it just makes commutes and it makes otherwise meaningless time. It makes it educational and inspirational. And it's a, an awesome website, audible.com forward slash Joe. Go there, get your free 30 days of audio books you son of a bitch. All right. <laughs> We're also brought to you by Ting. And uh, Ting is uh, the, the mobile company that uh, we've started working with. Um, no contracts. The way it works is if your money, if you don't use all your minutes, you're actually credited for the next month. You actually, they drop your bill down and you're, you're credited. It's a, it's a beautiful company. And they use the Sprint backbone. So it's excellent service. It's a, a you know a great uh, line of phones that they use, mostly Android phones, but they also have some uh, right. If you're if you're one of those old school dudes, resisting change and you're into flip phones, they even have those things. So go and check that out, you freaks. And uh, also thanks to Onnit.com for sponsoring our podcast. Go to O N N I T. I checked. I can't find the blenders online, so I guess they're not there yet. But just to let you know, the blenders on our way, you dirty bitch. And uh, kettlebells are there. We have uh, an awesome supply of kettlebells in various um, various weights and sizes. We also have packages, and uh, we have the the battle ropes in as well. Which uh, there's videos explain how to use them and, and what to do with them. It's it's an awesome way to work out your entire body. If you use the code name Rogan, you will save ten percent off any and all the supplements. Can't you can't use that with kettlebells and battle ropes though, because shit's expensive to send through the mail, yo. We're sending you giant chunks of the earth, giant metal with handles, but it's manly as fuck and really good for your body. So go check it out. Um, Desquad.tv, you're out of shirts, right? Nope. On stock. Oh, bitches, they're back. So any of the uh, psychotic kitty cat shirts that Brian has produced, they are original Brian Redband works of art as well, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you can get them at desquad.tv and all also be uh, informed as to when um, uh, tickets are available for uh, shows that Brian may be doing with uh, other folks that are involved in what is called the Desquad, um, including uh, the, the End of the World show with Honey Honey, Joey Diaz, Doug Stanhope, and myself at the Wiltern, December 21st, 2012. Woo-hoo. Um, um, the tickets are available right now. No, there's not going to be any end of the world, folks. Okay? Everything's going to be beautiful. And if you go to uh, uh, twitter.com forward slash Joe Rogan and search through my timeline, you can see that there's pre-sale for today and tomorrow, and the password is tickets. All right, you freaks. That's it for this week because i got to go to Brazil, and uh, uh, I won't be back until next week. But next week we've got five podcasts, and it's going to be fucking awesome. So we'll see you then. Thank you, Alex Gray. Thank you, Joe Rogan. It's beautiful. It's beautiful.